Hello, one and all. Welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It is August the 31st of 2022. As we are ending summer everywhere except in Florida, where it's going to be hot and humid forever, forever, uh, it's time to talk about manga. Yes. This is where we talk about manga, Nick. This is, yeah. this is our designated manga talking spot. Yeah. Manga talking spot is actually a pretty good, just like, we should, we should just like, have like a little sign that says manga talking spot like a like a winnie the pooh style one right here yeah instead so you know instead of pooh's thinking spot it's manga talking spot so did we did we want to talk about the new uh horror poo movie uh blood and well well we are now (laughs) (laughs) there's a trailer out and it's it looks it looks bad like yeah well like i have to assume because it like that was a movie that was like it was like Winnie the Pooh went into public domain, and like that afternoon, they were like, "This movie yeah. is happening." So yes, and that was not that long ago. So this no. movie must have had like a turnaround time because they could not have worked on it before it went into public domain. That actually, like, you can't start working on it in preparation for it. Like, it had to wait until it went huh. into public domain to actually go into uh, production. So they must have saw it go in, and they were like. All right, everybody, get to work. We got three months to make this movie. Well, and they say that it was like made in ten days, which I assume was like a ten-day shooting schedule. But yeah, uh, that Winnie the Pooh went public domain just a couple months ago. Uh, So (sighs) it looks bad, and I don't mean like oh, it's uh, there. It is actually kind of funny to see all the people who are like, oh, what are they doing? They're going to be parents who take children to see this. Like, I mean. Maybe if Man, they're really not paying attention, that's going to be a really funny thing. Being like, I saw there's a new Winnie the Pooh movie. There was a subtitle beneath it. I didn't have time to look at that. I time. just bought the tickets. Mm-hmm. I know it said rated R, but I'm not too concerned about that. Yeah. For those of you who have not been following the online news of the day or who are watching this uh, well afterward when this garbage looking movie honestly <laughs> it's probably just long forgotten uh yeah the, after, as soon as Winnie the Pooh went public domain uh some people decided to make a Winnie the Pooh slasher horror movie yeah. uh and um it is what what it, it is that exactly what it, it says yeah that, that's what it is uh it looks very bad uh I think that they have someone who is playing a quote-unquote grown-up Christopher Robin in it which must be just like the one person that claimed that he could do a British accent. <laughs> they didn't check ahead of time how he sounded. They're, He's... they're like, hey, Chet, you, you said you went to England once, right? He's like, I flew over it. What are you talking They're like, close enough. Well, all my friends uh, live here in the woods, they do. And I don't know where they are now. Oh, no, they are turned into killers. Oh, I'm so sorry. Please don't murder me. And he's <laughs> like, I think I've watched a couple episodes of Doctor Who. They're like, good enough. You'll be our British character. Uh, the fact that we are talking about this means that this movie is a smash success, by yes, the way. Because the pretty only reason this movie got made was to be able to talk about it, and then most people would not watch it. So I would not be shocked if they were like, uh, the budget was like 40 bucks. <laughs> so, basically, we had to buy a weird fucking Winnie the Pooh mask, and that was pretty much it. So we made all our money back in ad revenue on the trailer for this movie. Probably. That's not a bad strategy, I guess, at this point in time. 
you know, just fucking go for it and, and see where you make it, you know? Be like the new Mr. Beast, but instead of, like, giving away the Hunger Game parodies, you're just like, I want to just make public domains of weird shit. <laughs> like, weird shit in the public domain. That's all my, that's my gimmick now. Is there an old work of some kind that's not yet in the public domain, but could potentially drop into it that you would want to see adapted into something, like, insanely different from its premise? There's a lot. Uh, we're in like this weird place right now where they've been because Mickey Mouse, that's the big thing. Mickey Mouse is mm-hmm. supposed to be going into public domain sometime relatively soon. And Disney keeps getting them to push that back. Right. And I feel like that's eventually going to happen. If that ever happens, all bets are off the table. I mean, like eventually at sure. that point, super like every superhero eventually goes into uh-huh. public domain. And at that that's point, true, that yeah. would be wild. Superman goes into public domain and then Marvel's just like, well, for shits and giggles, and they just start printing fucking <laughs> Superman comics. Like, I know they have like seventeen different Superman pastiches already, but like, I would really love. They're just like, eh, fuck it, we could just do it too now. Is all the characters that are like clearly Superman, but it's like, oh, finally, they just like take the decal off of their chest and put the S on there. Ah, oh! ah, oh, no longer do we need Sun Person. We have Superman finally. <laughs> Or like uh, they name him after like a different element uh, on the periodic tables. Like, ah, Selenium Man can now finally just become the last son of Krypton. <laughs> it rips off the mask. It's been me all along. <laughs> what about oh, you? Do boy. you have one you're waiting for? I kind of want it to happen to something like uh, one of the bigger franchises that you see just like that, you know, like has been bought up and people are trying to churn stuff out of. So something like, you know, like Lord of the Rings or Star Trek, something like that, because right now they're just kind of being used as tent poles to prop up a streaming service, essentially. Yeah. Uh, So it'd be nice if we could just not do that and have them be, you know, have something of value come out of them. Like people make things because they want to and instead of because that, that will justify billions of dollars in budget being thrown their way. Can things, I mean, it's about to be an insanely dumb question. Things outside of, like, that were created outside the U.S. enter public domain, right? International copyright, yeah. Yeah. So, so, like, could theoretically, like, Godzilla enter public domain? I can't tell if Nick's thinking or if he is, is streaming. In terms of how, uh, because. The copyright of uh, there is a little bit of a delay happening right now. There's a little bit of a stutter. Uh, I don't know if there is a difference between uh, the time frames between uh, U.S. property, intellectual properties, international uh, intellectual uh, properties. So, because I would like to see different people get the opportunity to like make weird ass Godzilla movies, like Godzilla, sure, sure, dating sims and shit like that. I may already have this penciled out and like mapped out and I'm just waiting for the day for it to happen. And then I push the button. It's like destroy all monsters dot 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 with love gets released. on. (laughs) Well, Quinn, you sure released this right away. Were you doing work on this before the internet? Nope, never. (laughs) Definitely wasn't programming this game. Unless you count my dreams as work. 
He does, actually. <laughs> the case of Sandman v. America did prove that dreams are admissible in court. I'm like, damn, I hate Sandman. Um, Speaking of Sand Nick. Yeah. We got a thing to talk about. That's actually a really good transition. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> well, we have to do it now. Uh, so... Guys, we uh, took a, a recommendation uh, for this week, and specifically for this week. This is something that I chose because it would be very short and we could do on a very fast turnaround because we're gearing up for Statistics September. Uh, so this week we are going to be spending a bit of time talking about Sandland by Akira Toriyama. This is a series that Toriyama wrote uh, in like 2002. Uh, it was designed as a short-run series similar to how, you know, a decade later, Toriyama would do Jocko the Galactic uh, Patrol Man yes. uh, as a short run series. Uh, and um, it's got some similarities, definitely. Uh, there's a yeah. little bit of a sci fi bent to it. Uh, it's about a set of three companions uh, traveling uh, in a bizarre vehicle in order to uh, accomplish their goal. Uh, and in this case, it's about three people driving in a tank through the desert because they're looking for water to save the world. Yes. Did they ever uh, find it? You'll have to read to find out. Actually, I'm probably just going to tell you because the series is only like 14 pages short. or chapters long. So uh, we're kind of. It is a single volume series. It's yes. a, v- quite short, very digestible. Uh, uh, it's. Got a lot of, you know, Toriyama, you know, isms in it. Uh, there's references to Dragon Quest. Um, <laughs> um, you've got, you know, the main character's name is Beelzebub because he is the prince of demons. Yes, there's demons in the story. They are a thing. It's They're just kind of there. It's not a big of a thing as you would They're expect. Just... <laughs> like everyone's kind of like, eh, yeah, the demons are over there. It's like how there's animal people in Dragon Ball. It's like, yeah, there's animal people. Yeah. There they are. That is that is like a truth that like in the worlds that Toriyama creates, it generally does tends to be like, yeah, that's just, yeah, there's a god, like, but it's a green dude who lives on the top of a like on our planet on a really tall tower. Like everyone knows this. What are you talking about? Like, shut up. <laughs> um. Yeah, and uh, there is like uh, obviously some tension between demons and the humans in the world, but. It doesn't seem so much to be like religiously based as you're different from me and you want water, but I want water. So I hate you. And that's about it. Uh, our protagonist is the Prince of Demons. Everyone calls him Prince. His, he is actually Beelzebub. He is Lucifer's son. Uh, Lucifer, who makes one appearance in this series and is clearly Deborah from Dragon Ball. Um, <laughs> hey, they're very, you know, it's a good design. I'm glad he, I wish it's a good got, design. We should have gotten more of it in Dragon Ball. We should have gotten more of it here, I'll be honest. And uh, they encountered this old sheriff uh, with a with a with a shady past uh, named Raya, uh, who thinks that he knows where to get some water and asked them to help him find it. So Prince goes with him along with this older looking demon guy named Thief who is a thief, but it really only comes into play like once, I guess. I was going to say, yeah. Uh, yeah. 
And uh, they start traveling through the desert. They eventually uh, hijack a tank from the military that kind of runs all of the entire human civilization. And they go through the desert in order to find water, which could bring salvation to everyone. It's uh, honestly, it's like it's like almost a G rated Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. Traveling through, uh, you know, the desert uh, and trying to free people who are under the tyranny of the one person who controls all the water uh, that uh, exists in the world, essentially. So, yeah. And it is just like a, a fun little short adventure series. It doesn't have like a ton of twists and turns to it. It's like we're going into the desert to find a lake. We ran into some trouble along the way. Pretty we much. found the lake. Yep. And like, and I'll actually, I'll, I'll pull back a little bit from that because there is a little bit more to it. And there's particularly, I think, a really good touch when they find a lake and how that is not the end of their adventure because they find out a detail about the lake that they're like, oh, this is not the answer to our problem. Instead, our answer is to essentially expose the government corruption that has been... <laughs> hanging over our heads all along or whatever and it's you know it, it it ends up being actually a pretty satisfying conclusion of hey you know what let's go back and we'll see what that king's up to and then we're gonna fuck his shit up beat him up call him smelly the true villains were the one percent the whole time yeah so. uh i also really like they they there is like so there's like the king and then the king has sort of like his main military strategist guy who actually is, I think, one of the cooler designs I've seen for a character like this. It's like this old withered general who doesn't like really walk anymore. So he's kind of like trapped, not trapped, but he's like inside of almost like one of those Eggman fucking like hover devices from Sonic the Hedgehog. And like half of his body just kind of hangs out of it. And it's I don't know why it's like a super imposing and like unnerving visual image that he just floats around in yeah he seems decrepit uh and uh he just drops bombs on people and he's still so. an asshole like you, you're he in is. that bad of a position he's still just a dickhead it's it's astonishing um yeah I mean, it's it's a light kind of a mostly light-hearted series uh you know there's it's because it's so short. I did get the sense that a few things resolved incredibly easily. Oh yeah. Uh, just because there's not really time to like build up tension on certain stuff or really build up stakes. Because like, yeah, we just want to keep this moving. You know, more action scenes, more jokes, uh, more just shots of this tank going through the desert. Apparently, Toriyama wrote the series just because he thought of the idea of a tank traveling through the desert and decided he wanted to draw that. Hell yeah! That's and that's the way every manga should be. <laughs> And then he realized, God, it's hard to draw this tank. Fuck, why did I do this? I hate this. Bad call. <laughs> you really fucked me past Toriyama. <laughs> It'll be fun, I said. No, I could do it myself, I said. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, there, there's some... I think that, honestly, some of my favorite bits were just, like, when there was not a lot of, like, discussion of, like, here's why we gotta do this, or here's what's at stake. Uh, it was just, hey, there's these three guys, uh, two of whom are kind of strangers to the third, but they're getting along and they're starting to get to know each other and stuff. And so they're traveling through the desert. And because the two demons are kind of like little kids at heart, uh, they're like, I want to drive. And he's like, OK, fine, I'll teach you how to drive. And so they, they get a chance to drive the tank and and uh, all this stuff. 
Um, there's some fun bits where they have to, you know, they, where they do build like uh, action scenes around the fact that they have a tank. But you know, as cool as that is, there's limitations to it. There's this entire thing where they where they establish the tank's turret can't point upward, so they have to do stuff. And whenever they're fighting aerial en- enemies, so that they can uh, get them into a position where they can fire at them. Um, and then there's just silly moments like how there is this family of swimmers who are guys who just kind of wander the desert in speedos and swim caps. Uh, and except for their father, uh, they've never gone swimming before because they've been in this desert world this whole time. And they just start kind of making trouble for them until Prince goes out and chases them down, just punches each of them in the face once. And that's how they deal with them. And that sounds perfectly reasonable. Yeah. Kind of got handled there. Um, Yeah. I I think the series was, was light and fun. And I, I really do like Toriyama's writing when there's a definitive kind of conclusion to things. Like that's always kind of the biggest issue with Dragon Ball is that like famously it wanted to end like three times and then like couldn't quite close things out and had to kind of keep going a little bit and like i don't know i similar to uh Jack technically and, technically in a way still hasn't ended uh, yeah, <laughs> at this point i'm like I, I think he just comes up and he's like here's a character design i've made and they're like cool goku and vegeta shall fight this for 45 chapters <laughs> yes yes i mean you can do that if you want. I just thought he looks cool. Yeah, like, yeah that's just a bug dude. They're like, oh, we need a new form for Frieza. What should it be? He's like, gold. What? And they're like, gold Frieza! A genius! genius! He's like, yeah, that's what I am. He like reaches into his pocket, pulls out a gum wrapper. He's like, black. They're like, go, Frieza black, you say? Ooh, brilliant, brilliant. Just gets on the phone with his wife. It's like, no, I don't... I- I don't really care what what color we painted. Chartreuse is fine. Chartreuse Super Saiyan, you say? He calls him. He's like, honey, have them map out another pool. I'm about to get another shit ton amount of money. I don't know if you saw a thing where someone did a tour of, uh, like some of Oda's house, and he's just got. Just all this weird animal paraphernalia around his house. It's like a giraffe, like a full-size giraffe statue in his house. You're like, fuck yeah, buddy. <laughs> like, if, I, if I made one piece, I, my house would be full of life-size Pokemon. Like, I, I guarantee it'd be full of nonsense, too, man. Like, go for it. Um, uh, I guess... Uh, I shouldn't tangent into that. Um... <laughs> this was a good series. It's fun. It's very short. You're not like I would say if you're a big like, it doesn't connect to the Dragon Ball universe or anyway. This is like you're not going to see Beelzebub show up or you might. Who knows? I guess Dragon Ball is a hungry machine. It wants new stuff constantly. Yeah. Um. So but I don't believe it has any connection. So I don't think you need to see this. Um. But uh. yeah, it's it's awesome. You know, go check it out. It's quick and easy to read. You're not. But you're not missing anything if you don't check it out either. Yeah, very, very light sci-fi fantasy, fun adventure uh, that, you know, does not really require a lot from you to read in terms of, like, time. And also, you know, just has a nice message of, hey, if you're going to be the head of the military, don't do evil things. 
Or a devil will come and punch you in the face. Oh man, I wish we could translate the tra- transition to Chainsaw Man right there. That'd be perfect. Yeah, that'd be pretty good, wouldn't it? Uh, and um, if you uh, want to be a good person, then um, no, I can't figure out a way that that actually matches into what happens in, in my hero academia. So <laughs> give your heart up. Uh, I will say tangentially because I I know people probably want to know to some extent. I did actually see Dragon Ball Super Superhero, the movie. I think it's just called Dragon Ball Super Superhero. There's no the movie at the end, but it should. Uh, and as somebody who has been a huge fan of Gohan, it was deeply satisfying to see Gohan finally do something in a movie. It is essentially a movie where Goku and Vegeta have fucked off and are not relevant to the movie itself. So yes! it's, it's just about <laughs> Gohan and Piccolo. And if you were hoping for great moments, well, you get them for Go- uh, Gohan. Piccolo eats shit throughout the whole movie. <laughs> Still, like, it's astonishing that that man gets so little. He does get like a new form and is, it's uh, dumb. <laughs> but um, it's actually, it's, 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 it's decent. It's, it's a fun movie. So if you're a Gohan Look, he, fan. He, he's too busy looking after his granddaughter, okay? That is actually how it starts. <laughs> yeah. It's actually pretty dope. So there's some good stuff. It's a good movie if you want to check it out. I think watching the super movies is probably a better way of digesting Dragon Ball at this point in time than <laughs> Speaking of Dragon Ball superheroes. Oh, there we go. Yeah, I yeah. There. I always yeah. had I was like, just, yeah. We gotta, gotta do the we we had to do the volleyball thing, except then we had to we had to like go to the side and remember how many hits you had in volleyball, and yeah. then we went out and did it, and then you set me up. Yeah. So there we go. We're, we got we got. All right, so we get we open chapter number three hundred sixty four of My Hero Academia: Why We Wield Power with uh, an explanation of why Oliver One um, has a face again. Which is uh, Dr. Ujiko was working on the quirk erasing bullets and he basically managed to get them back to the point where they were originally uh, uh, founded from Ares quirk. And so he made some, you know, time rewind bullets, essentially. Uh, and he left this message for all for one, uh, just to let him know, hey, you know, you know I, I, I believe in you. You're so beautiful. I, you are, you make my life meaningful and i'm i'm so happy um like it it is about that language like he's like you bring me such joy so i want you to be filled with hate which is like all right i guess i guess that like when you're just when you're this far along on the villain spectrum you just like start thinking in these terms and it's like yeah this makes sense you know love is just the is just the other side of hatred right i've always heard that i don't really believe it (laughs) Uh, so Endeavor, not Endeavor, sorry, he's talking to Endeavor. All for One uses this time rewind bullet and is using it to restore himself because he had gotten kind of fucked up in his fight with Endeavor and Hawks and, uh, Jiro and Tokuyami. And, uh, he's admits like, I didn't think that I would, you know, be forced to play this card while fighting against you. Uh, and everyone's like, oh, shit, he is you know, back in peak condition. What's going on? Uh, Tokuyami recognizes that he has used Ares power. Uh, all for one uh, descends to the ground. Uh, he's got lips now. Um, delicious, delicious we get this lips. Weird zoom in on his lips in one moment. Uh, he zooms down to the ground 
and grabs the cape off of a hero. Uh, <laughs> oh, you sure you don't want to throw this one into like the next guessing game? I mean, I might if I ever actually remember who they're supposed to be or if we are even supposed to have ever been introduced to them. Uh, so all for one snatches the cape off of them and also yoinks their quirk uh, as he says, fighting in the buff is hardly my style because, you know, his clones were burning off and I guess he only shot himself. He didn't shoot his clothing. So that's not getting restored. Yes. Uh, Hawks slashes it all for one. He just tanks it. Uh, but as he does so, he admits that the rewinding is going to kill him. He is now doomed to vanish. Uh, but because he's getting put back in his prime by this, it's giving him a massive power boost. So he should be able in this moment to take on the heroes and defeat them in basically a suicide attack. Uh, we don't know what the timetable is for the rewind, but um, Ares worked on Deku like really, really fast, so I guess we'll see. We cut to the United States of America. Right, this scene happens. Right. Yeah. This uh, <laughs> there is a confrontation between the president uh, and Timothy Agpar, uh, which I guess is his name. It's not Akbar, it's Agpar. Um, and, uh, Which makes sense because without even knowing the character, I did look at them and I was like, kind of looks like Admiral Akbar. Right. And, um, yep. Uh, so uh, the president's mad. Uh, says that uh, they can't get involved with All for One uh, because of the nation's future. And Akbar points out that if they don't try and deal with All for One's attack, then they won't have a future. Uh, and then he. Um, reaches into his jacket, which makes the secret service be like, wait a minute, are we going to have to kill this guy because he's trying to attack the president? And he's like, no, just taking a little picture out. Guys, come on. And he takes out a picture of a young All Might posing with uh, a young Cassie, a young Star and Stripe, as a little kid. And it's a, it's a cute picture of them posing together. And Agpar says, why do you think that Cassie followed in her idol's footsteps and died for it? I'm sure you haven't forgotten. Children observe adults as they grow, and adults in turn support the children as they pass it forward. And so on to the next generation. Heroes have always wielded their power in the name of that cause. Now, I don't know what he is talking about in the context of this conversation. I don't know what point he is actually trying to make. Because... Much like a baton is passed from adult to child, generation to generation, the baton is just being passed from scene to scene in the name of letting you know why something happens in the next scene. But I still don't know why it is happening in this scene. So anyway, that happened. America. I guess this is the way to explain why America, why other countries aren't getting involved currently in what seems to be a pretty like decisive fight for the world at this point. Uh, yeah, it seems stupid. Yeah, the major the major countries are like, uh, maybe we can talk, maybe we can work it out. Maybe if we just ignore the problem. Now, in fairness, they did see their away. biggest hero get killed. I don't know. It's a weird scene. I'll, I'll, I'll 100% yeah. give you that. Uh, so, there has been someone present in the fight with Shigaraki all for one. The whole time that I have 
rarely made mention of outside of like when they may have showed up in like the initial group shot in the fight. And that is Ed shot. And Ed shots. Uh, he's looking pretty beat up. His, his clothes are all raggedy and he's got he's bleeding from the forehead and stuff. Uh, and he cup, comes over to where best genus is looking over the fallen Bakugo. Bakugo, of course, like his heart's all fucked up. He's going to die. And Ed shot says, I am the ninja hero. There is no realm I cannot infiltrate. And I have ample experience invading the bodies of others. That's Don't worry it that way, dude. That's so creepy. Way to phrase that. That's such a weird way to phrase it. Like I, I have ample experience invading the bodies of others. Like I imagine that best genus was there. Like it feels like you're about to do something very important to save my disciple, but I. We really need to talk about that language because I don't know what that's phrasing. And I really need to not find out you're a deeply problematic hero. <laughs> like, this is not the time for that. You're a deeply problematic, like pre faded jeans. <laughs> God, I hate you. Best <laughs> so, uh, Edshot uh, reaches towards Baku's body with. Of his his body unfolding and going into thin threads, and he also shouts out to Mirko to not give up. Uh, and even if you know she's being ripped apart, to keep on attacking Shigaraki and just don't stop. Do not go quietly. Keep uh, on fighting that good fight. Pretty much. And uh, yeah, Mirko. Uh, it starts to struggle against the uh, hand things that are holding her. And uh, Edshot says, Edshot the hero will not let this pass. This stopped heart belongs to a life we can ill afford to lose. I am not too late. I shall replace what's missing and make it pump. And best genist says, Kamihara, there's no coming back from this for you. And Edshot says, just go. I leave the rest in your capable hands. Our president, Hakamada, flashback! Oh, they were in a club together in, in UA. Anyway, Edshot sacrificing himself to save Bakugo. <laughs> um, I mean, yes, that is that is entirely <laughs> what happens. Um, look, so a lot of people are making fun of the fact that they're like, who the fuck gives a shit about Edshot? Which, totally understand. I will say, I, I did have to sit here and say, like, look, if this was gang orca doing this i'd be like sure 10 out of 10 writing fucking awesome i love every goddamn second of it i, I think it's just because no one gives a shit in our general audience about ed shot no one was like what a cool moment now i will say um there's been no real connection between ed shot and bakugo um so like in a personal level, this moment doesn't mean a lot. It does, you know, it mean an important thing in the general sense of like, yes, the future generation going to protect the next one. And I do like the duality of this chapter where we see all for one is protecting the next generation by going and just murdering a shit ton of people. He's basically like, let me see how many heroes I can kill before I go down. Whereas this is Ed Shot being like, this boy is really important to our future. I want to save and protect him. And I also do really appreciate that this will prevent deku from showing up and being like bakugo and then go in like in a rage mode which was not a scene i was looking forward to at all um uh, but yeah I, I think there is like a hollow piece of just like yeah man i don't 
I, I wish Ed Shot had done kind of anything to this point, but that's. Yeah. I'm. I, I will say this. I'm mostly glad this is just not another female character dying. Um, <laughs> but you know, there's still time for that. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, up to this point, the only other significant scene involving Ed Shot that I can remember was when uh, he was part of the raid on the League of Villains hideout because he specifically demonstrated that he could prevent everyone from activating their quirks by stabbing them with threads in a way that also did not make them bleed at all. Uh, So it's like, all right, yeah, I believe that that guy has incredible control of the human anatomy and and could, you know, put back together Bakugo's heart. Yeah, I'll believe that, sure. But yeah, I think that the main thing is that we have not really had much of a chance to actually connect with him as a person up to this point to really feel the impact of, you know, oh, well, we're we're losing this character, you know, this character that we're getting is getting a big spotlight all of a sudden, uh, you know, this big full page spread and he gets this dramatic speech about why he is doing this and stuff. And it's like. Okay, I mean, I really only kind of know you because, like, I think that there's been mentioned that Kamui Woods was kind of his sidekick, uh, or like worked with him basically. And other than that, it's like, yeah, he shows up in like the top hero rankings and uh, has been in a couple of group fights, and that's about it. So, I mean, I can think of characters that you know have been like superheroes that like it would mean less to have them have a, a scene of this level of importance. But I can also think of other heroes that you would care considerably more. If this was like Aizawa doing it or something like that, you'd be like, holy shit. Like, this yeah, is yeah. a huge moment. Uh, Ed Shot just doesn't have... And I'll, I'll say the one thing that does actually strike me as just annoying is like the five seconds before he dies, be like, you remember Best Genus when we were both in UA together? You're like, all right, fuck off. Like, yeah. <laughs> Torikoshi needs to find a better way to establish some sympathetic connection with his characters than reminding us in the last moment. Like, remember when we were students together? Like, we had the same <laughs> shit happen just recently with fucking Nejere, where it's like, remember how we were all students when we met? Like, fuck off. All right. This is a good. You're all students now. <laughs> this is a good character writing. I don't care. Like, what happened? Like, explain that. Yeah. But otherwise, I thought it was fine. I, as I said, I know some people are really shitting on it. I don't, I'm not hitting on it that hard just because I'm like, if this was another one of my heroes, like 40 fucking side characters, there's some that I definitely would be like, if this was even Fat Gum, who also has equally as little of importance as Ed Shot Tobacco Go, I'd still be like, Fat Gum, no! Well, yeah, at least with Fat Gum, it's like, I know who he is. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. It's uh, I think is also one of the unfortunate things that you see, not just in My Hero Academia, but like any big battle series where you get to the war story arc and you've got dozens upon dozens of characters involved. Then it's like, all right, well, this character is going to be important now. I was like, yeah, well, because your series dealt with a much more, you know, uh, easily balanced number of characters prior to this this is kind of the first time that this character is doing anything of importance. So it's kind of hard for me to give a shit unless I just happen to really take a liking to them based on their design. And I'm sure that that has happened with that shot and a few people. That's it. So, yes. All right. Undead right. Unluck. Let's talk about Undead Unluck. Like, number 124, Andy. We get a big two-page color spread because guess what, Nick? Anime. Uh. Is it? Oh, I'm just, I'm just, okay. That's what it has a little sign that says anime on it. 
Yeah, but is she correct or is that just uh, hopeful thinking? Hmm. Maybe we'll find out. I don't um, know. I, I'll believe it when I see it. I'm not going to believe any of the announcements about that's it yet. True. So. Uh, and we get to see all of our favorite characters from Union, like Andy and Shen and Rip's also there. Uh, Unavoid is there, I guess, because he'll be featured in that first like two episodes and nowhere else. Uh, and Ano Un is in there, and I always forget that that's uh, yeah. the way they looked, because um, I just remember the flashback look. Um, so we open in the flashback as Andy is remembering basically his first time coming to life, where he was buried in the desert by uh, Juez and was revived as Andy. And he's like, "Yeah, that's my first memory is me emerging from the grave, and even now I still taste the dirt in my mouth." and he basically horrifying yeah it's pretty dark uh but you know he just goes on to explain like i didn't have anything i had no family no friends nothing to my name no memories nothing i was just no land or titles yeah uh he's like i was just this person and i just had like a little bit and i i you know it, it sucked and like the small handful of memories i have like what what did they even matter imagine like those were just victor's reset attempts trying to regenerate like you know and i tried to fragment those bits and turn them into my own memories it didn't really work and joe is just like look i have done immeasurable harm to you like if you would like to kill me i totally understand it and andy's like cool <laughs> he whips out his sword and it's like he points at her and it's all bloody and he's like yeah that's the day when all my suffering began like I came out of the ground, no idea who I was. I had to go to the battlefield to find myself, and no matter where I went, I couldn't find any information. All my body knew how to do was to fight, and that it was undead. And I did all these things, knowing like the guilt and loneliness that I would survive all these people, watching them have to grow old. It sucked. There was no end in sight. I was scared, and all I ever thought about was dying. And then you guys captured me 50 years ago, and I asked Nico to experiment on my body, and thanks to him, I found out I really can't die, and I gave up on everything. I gave up on dying. I just spent my days using the pain of suicide to feel alive, and I had no... Very dark. Yes. (laughs) Immensely so. And he's like, I had no hope, not a scrap, until I met Foucault. And it was then that I found a sense of hope. And we get a nice, like, a really poignant two-page spread of that scene from the first chapter of them on the bridge. But it's a very pulled-out shot. And I just, I like that different perspective. It also really gives a different uh, um, perspective to their encounter that, you know, Andy was using, you know, the sense of, you know, trying to kill himself in order to feel anything. And then he met Fuko while she was trying to kill herself. Yes. And that was how they connected. Uh, Juez just uh, as like Andy, he pushes the blade a little bit closer towards her neck. And then there's like another shake like, oh, stuff's going on. And he says, I'm not letting you off that easy. You're going to witness it all from the suffering you helped create to what I gained after I met Fuko. You're going to witness all of my happiness. And the floor is like coming down above them. And she's like, absolutely. And Andy's like, Fuko, on it. And they give each other a big high five. And he's like, all right, cool. I'm going to go do some unlock stuff. And (laughs) Lava literally erupts from the ground beneath him. And he shouts out, I'm Andy the Undead. 
and the lava helps to weld the ceiling closed, because I guess that's how it works. Uh, and Andy, I do like, is like, why was there magma there? And, it, like, Fuku's just like, hey, you know, the rules don't really matter. Like, the details don't matter. Shit just happens. Um, and Andy takes the moment to thank Juez. Like, thanks for bringing me into Bean. This is great. And Juez is just like, are you watching, Victor? And even Andy thanks Victor. Thank you for making me undead. And they're like, all right, you know, this is it. We now have our two beacons of hope. You know, undead and unluck. And that's our, our end two pages. Oh, that's what the chapter title, the series title is. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, these two characters are called Undead Unluck. I, yeah. Uh, it took 120 uh, chapters. Nah, that uh, makes sense. Makes sense now. Makes sense. Uh, uh, that's okay. our that's our two page end. They're preparing to do the loop and they're looking all determined. I really like this two-page spread that uh, closes things out. You know, this real feeling of like, okay, we're transitioning into the last chapter or the last part of this series. Uh, so, you know, we get the big undead unluck uh, title splashed across it. Uh, I like, you know, the the cool pose and looks that they're doing. And also, I just like Andy saying, it's looping time, which... <laughs> It's a very dorky it's, way of putting what it's doing. looping time. Almost maybe be like, was this a fucking like Morbius thing? Like was the, their creator, like the, the Shonen Jump person was just like, yes, I would also like to get on this Morbin time joke. I really like this chapter. Um, you know, there's this, you know, sense that, of course, the tragedy that Victor experienced, all of the feelings of hopelessness, were passed on to Andy. Uh, but, and you think that, you know, he's going to be like, just really angry with you is maybe strike out at her. And instead he's like, yeah, because that happened, I was able to experience all these good things. And that's giving him the strength to keep going forward because he wants to protect all those things. Uh, it's, you get this real sense that like, you know, it's not just Fuko, but now him who has been through all these different things, but he's just come out of it a better happier person who has uh, different reasons for wanting to do stuff than he did in the very beginning of the series. He's grown a lot as a person. Yes. Good stuff. Uh, I think this was like a fine follow-up to last chapter. We didn't learn anything particularly new, just Andy kind of dumping his heart on the table, and presumably, next chapter, we will actually get them going through the loop. That's right. Okay, so which of these are we doing first? Yeah, are we, we just have Chainsaw Man and then Ian Zero, right? Chainsaw Man, then. Okay. Chainsaw Man! <laughs> Chapter 103, Denji Dream. So we open this chapter by seeing uh, the way that the public uh, looks at Chainsaw Man with merchandise. <laughs> uh, but then also more directly because, you know, people are documenting or, or, or recalling the uh, Chainsaw Man fighting the Cockroach Devil recently. And I love that they keep on emphasizing this point. It's like, Chainsaw Man fought the Cockroach Devil. And also he saved a cat. <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's Don't the big that like, pull away from it. Yeah. So we get some uh, people on the street interviews of. Uh, from this kind of crowd that is gathered around uh, a news reporter. And there are a bunch of different reactions that people have to Chainsaw Man. It seems as though it is 
leaning positive, but there are a large number of different reasons that people have for not liking Chainsaw Man. Uh, you know, ranging from like, I just don't like him to I'm concerned about the property damage <laughs> to all the people who die because of it. Now, uh, in fairness, well, I'm sure there actually are some times where he does just like throw a car and shit like that. But in fairness, it's the other devils that cause the property damage. Well, if they would just stop, then, you know, Denji would just, you know, stay yeah. at home and and uh, spend time eating ice cream and looking at pictures of boobs and hopefully spending time with the girl that he's supposed to be spending time yeah, with. This is a curious detail to read through this chapter. Like, where is Wait the a child you're supposed where to be taking she? care of? <laughs> Uh, you have a very like... important job, Denji. <laughs> I do like that as we go through this, that some people's reasons for not liking Chainsaw Man are very reasonable uh, and observant. And some are just like, I don't like you stealing Devil Hunter's jobs. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> uh, and then there's one person who thinks that Chainsaw Man doesn't actually exist. It's American propaganda, which is a bold stance to take. <laughs> Uh, you would say that, but with as many conspiracy theories as you hear about stuff that over here, you'd be like, well, I can't imagine anyone coming up with one, like thinking that's not real. You know, I, I buy that people would would try to think that. Truth. Uh, the last one that we hear is from this older woman who says that chainsaw person saved a cat yesterday, but it only saved the cat to eat it. I guarantee you. And then it cuts over to Denji, who's clearly looking over at the woman after having she's just said this. And it's like, all right, the chase of that clear is not in that cat. I love it. It's the funniest thing. It's like, I bet he just saved, he ate that, saved that cat to eat it. Denji's like, if you ask me, Chainsaw Man's never eaten a cat. <laughs> <laughs> I love it like I've never seen that in like the the collage of different interviews is one person directly responding to someone else like I wish it had gone to someone else and been like yeah they're taking our jobs and it cuts back to me he's like seriously Denji did our Dainsaw man did not eat that cat you imagine it's like just a bunch of different people talking about Spider-Man it's like oh Spider-Man's great Spider-Man's missed Spider-Man saved me I bet Spider-Man's got like weird eggs coming out of his dick and there's I... Peter Parker <laughs> clearly I Spider-Man has a very normal dick he starts getting uh, combative like that child's wrong Sp I do not have dick shaped egg hatches over there that is a lie I've never eaten a cat <laughs> I mean, no Chainsaw Man. What are we? Where am I? <laughs> oh, boy. So we we get to see Denji make quite a few comments talking about how, like, great Chainsaw Man is. Like, yeah, he's so cool. He's, he's incredible. Yeah. And now I don't know the dude, but he's obviously cool. And if I had to guess, his phone number is... And the interviewer is just like, all right, you're talking way too much. Stop it. Stop trying to give your phone number out on television. Yeah, like, I guess uh, all of these interviews must have happened because he's directly trying to respond to a girl who's like, change yes. something, it's awesome. Give me your number. And he's just yes. like, yeah, here it is. <laughs> also, Denji has clearly gotten a haircut, uh, which is like one of those things where it's like, it's only very slightly different, but I'm still going to have to get used to it. <laughs> so. Uh, the 
a reporter gets to the crowd is like, oh, hey, you know, to close this thing out, let's get a big call for Chainsaw Man. Everybody, Chainsaw Man. And there is a funny, you know, like full, double full page spread of Denji being behind the cameraman and watching all this. And he starts off very, very casual. And then he's like, oh, yeah, take I it in. I rule. Everyone sucks but me. <laughs> it's a very, it is probably the most likable that he is in this chapter because i think in my opinion it goes a little downhill from here <laughs> yoshida rolls up and while denji is just full-on like i'm the best everyone sucks but me posing and he's like hey denji how you doing and denji probably doesn't pretend no not to not know because <laughs> i also had a moment where I was like, who the fuck? Is-? And I remembered, I was like, oh, wait, this is the character people reminded me about the first week. Right, like, remember, right. you forgot this character earlier. And Yoshida just directly says, like, we've met. You remember when all, you had all those assassins after you? And then he's like, that's something that never happens. Okay. See, here's the thing. Yes, it did. At first, I thought, oh, he's just lying because he, he's not trying to admit these things. But as we find out later, he's trying to get the world to know he's Chainsaw Man. So he actively forgot about the assassins. <laughs> He's just like, what are you talking about? Denji has always been stupid, and now he's got power in him, I, so he's even dumber. I, I want someone to be like, remember that Remember that time you someone was trying to eat you, and you had to like eat her to stop the from He's like, did that happen? Yeah, you're raising her like reincarnation right now. I'm doing what? I am. He's <laughs> just like flies like buzzing. His, his eyes are He's like, oh my god! <laughs> I just kept on telling that girl to go away. <laughs> I, I said I'd be back with lunch three months ago. Ah, <laughs> uh, so Yoshida says, "Hey, you know, we're kind of like gonna draw attention here. So why don't we duck into that cafe and catch up?" And Denji says, oh, "I'm broke." my treat and just immediately cut inside and he's like i'll have ice cream orange juice can i get a whole cake just an entire one um so denji orders approximately every item on the menu and uh, after the server goes away yoshida says man what a coincidence we bumped into each other and denji demonstrating he's not entirely it says are you wearing my school's uniform? <laughs> so it's thought through that. Uh, Yoshida at first goes like, oh yeah, it's a coincidence. But then Denji asks him if he's stalking him. And he's like, uh, I mean, you're not wrong. Yeah, I, I'm part of an organization that has tasked me with keeping an eye on you. Uh, and Denji's already checked out. He's still looking at the menu, even though they've already ordered. Uh, but Yoshida says, and I quote, it's not an evil organization, like in some manga, which, given the organization that you were already a part of, Yoshida, like, maybe you should just not make those kind of jokes. You were already part of an evil organization. Um, so, uh, Denji's not paying attention to any of this probably very important information. He's just looking at the menu some more, uh, and he tries to ask for a creme caramel custard pudding, uh, and, uh, he just can't pronounce it. That's a joke. Um, and uh, Yoshida says, hey, uh, you're going to be in trouble, and I'm going to be in trouble if the public finds out that you're a chainsaw man. And Denji asks, okay, well, what's going to happen if I'm found out? Uh, the food arrives. 
And Yoshida grabs all the utensils on the table and says, if your secret identity is exposed, I won't let you eat this cake. And I will have the ice cream or the orange juice or the spaghetti or pudding either. I love it because Denji's immediately like, no, you gotta know. And he's like, yeah, fuck it. And just starts grabbing it with his hands. It's like, I figured out the loophole in your game, chess master. Yoshida is so disturbed by him eating the cake with his hands, just going straight into it, that he puts all the utensils back. And uh, he says, look, the organization wants you to live a peaceful life. We don't want you turning into Chainsaw Man. If your secret's exposed, the life you have is going to fall apart. Anyway, why are you doing this? Why are you fighting devils as Chainsaw Man? You don't seem like you're doing it just to be an altruist. And you're also not getting paid for it. So why are you doing this? Denji continues eating the cake while saying, well, because I want people to find out that I'm Chainsaw Man. Uh, There's a pause in the conversation while more... Uh, while Denji's drinks arrives and uh, Yoshida just kind of cups his chin. Why? It it just doesn't come to him. And Denji says, well, because once my secret's out, the ladies will be all over me. He's such a nerd. (sighs) So we get a very like just drawn out Yoshida just I, I, I do like I, a detail I, that, uh, that uh, Kufa Kator just posted in the chat. Uh, octopus guy whose name, I forget what, Yoshina, actually does Yoshida. cut himself a small slice of the cake. <laughs> so there is like a small normal piece taken out, and then the rest of it's just dingy fucking double fisting it. <laughs> Pretty much. So that's the chapter, because the rest of it is just Yoshida just kind of like looking at this child as he's as he's after he's explained his logic who's just eating a cake with his hands now even though yoshida has put the utensils back and he could grab them anytime he wanted to hey, i mean he's already in at this point yeah uh <sighs> it'll be interesting to see where we go with this because like my immediate response and like thought is like okay well this feels like almost character regression for Denji, but it's not. Like I know it's not. It's, but like you, it's, you get no. you get worried that Denji had seemingly not learned very because at the end of Chainsaw Man Part One, Denji seems like he accepted that there was a newfound responsibility he had to take on for himself. I.e., there's a child that is the living incarnation of the Order Devil or whatever, and he is now its guardian. And that has not come up, and he is still exclusively interested in getting a girlfriend, which is fine. He can do both, but you do go through the chapter being like, I hope that kid's okay. Like, I truly, I truly hope Denji is is responsible enough, because he's like, oh, I can never afford all this food. Like, Denji, don't you have a child you're watching after? Like, what do you mean? I do wonder what's going on with him. Because it does seem as though this could be like a defense mechanism or something like that. Like, I don't want to just think that 100 chapters of character progression has just been erased and Denji is just back to being an idiot who just wants to have a girlfriend. Which I'm not going to say is like, that's not a bad character motivation to have, but if that's the only thing he has going on, it seems like he has not really come to terms with the reality of what happened to him. Mm -hmm. Uh... 
And maybe he's just trying to not deal with the fact that the only friends he's ever known died horribly. Uh, so, and that is fair. Like, uh, I, you know what? Fair. <laughs> I, I totally empathize with that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see, I guess, uh, in a couple of weeks as the story continues. So yeah, we finally got a full on Denji chapter of Chainsaw Man again, and I miss Asa. So <laughs> <laughs> send it back. All right, let's move over to Eden Zero. <laughs> Let's talk about Eden Zero, Nick. This is chapter 205, 3173. Now, Nick, those are important numbers in the history of Eden Zero. You want to know why? Because... Because they were over a hallway. Yeah, if you flip it upside down, it says Ellie. And it's, you know, it's a reference. And our cover page is just Rebecca smiling there. Um, yep. I guess because she looks a lot like fucking, uh, what's her name? Ellie from <laughs> Ray Faster, and that's the connection. I don't think there's anything. Um, Tsushiki, Ziggy, rather, has explained his entire thing. He, he now reveals, like, hey, the Eden Zero can travel through time. That is what Code 3173 Ethereum does. The ship can travel through time. And goes on to explain, like, in Universe 3173, I don't exist. It is, but Shiki still exists and sets out, goes out into space and takes place in the Owl War. So, yeah, well, let's not question that. <sighs> There's This is trying to explain that there is an origin point universe where there is no Ziggy. Shiki still goes out and becomes a big hero. Um, and then that's when everything starts happening. And he's like, yes, that is a fixed point. In almost every universe, except the ones, I guess, where you just get shot and killed by Dragon Joe. It doesn't happen there. <laughs> you just get fucking ganked in an alleyway. Um, and he's just like, yeah, so that's that. After that, I am born and the course of the universe goes on. And Cheeky's just like, I don't understand what you're saying. He's like, did I ever say you needed to? This is universe three, a world that exists outside the wheel of time. And Cheeky says... Okay, if you're some hero from the future to save the human race, why are you trying to wipe them all out? And Ziggy, who has spent like the past two and a half chapters just explaining himself, goes, again, do you need to understand? No. And just refuses to elaborate on the most important piece of information here. And this is the most, this is a fictional story chapter of this series so far because the logic that happens here with stuff that is revealed and then suddenly no longer revealed while characters openly ponder about the th the details of the explanation that don't make sense would only happen for the purpose of dramatic tension there is no in-universe logical reason for things to play out this way it is, it is a, it, look, I can understand the notion of him just being like, fuck you, I don't want to tell you or whatever, but it is infuriating that we, we sit through a guy who's going to exposit everything, and then the one can, like, the most, like, he's explained 90% of the lore and history of everything connecting to this point, and the one piece of lore that we need to know is, like, you went forward in time to a race of people who told you we need to go back in time and save humans, and now you have gone back in time to kill all humans. What caused that change? He's like, 
I'm not telling you. And you're like, okay, I get it. We'll find out later on down the line, but this yes. is a deeply frustrating moment right now. Just like, just tell us. Like, like if you're going to do a big reveal like this, yes, you can do a thing set up so that it's like, all right, a, another reveal can happen that will change the way that the entire, you know, backstory plays out or will change, you know, the way that you were meant to interpret those previous explanations and stuff like that. But you can't do that and then immediately have characters go, well, wait, but that doesn't make sense. You need to explain more because your story is not complete and then not do so. <laughs> yeah, um, it is. It is the thing, but we'll get an answer, I guess, eventually. Shiggy's just like, all right, so you refuse to answer the most important questions. The idea is that this is the reality I'll turn into. No, I'll never be you. Actually, you're just not me. And it's like, cool. And then Ziggy's like, of course I'm not you. I am Ziggy, the mechanical king. And he uses overdrive, which just uh, kind of makes him like buffer and gives him rabbit ears or something. I don't know. It's not. They're haunts. No, they don't look silly. They're haunts. I'm a devil. I look cool. Shut up. <laughs> Everyone's wrong but me. <laughs> My cape is also wings, I guess. Yes, uh, he's, he's well, he his cape has formed into like the Mr. Sinister cape of like tassels. So, you know, there's that. Uh, he's like, I will take Ethereon. Uh, we cut over to Dead End Crow's fight. Uh, they're like, holy shit, this guy's super strong. Uh, Hermit's like, hey, sorry, things are kind of going on. But she like telepathically communicates with with sister to be like, hey, did you guys just hear Shiki's conversation? They're like, yeah. What do you think? Like, I don't really know. What does this mean? What does this mean about us? Because we were created. If, if Ziggy, didn't why are there plot holes in this story? Like, if Ziggy didn't exist in seven one or three one seven three. Then that means Eaton Zero shouldn't existed. But because B Cube has Eaton Zero carved into it, so why those specific words? Uh, and then, like, what does this mean? And sisters, like, fuck it. You handle the thinking. I'm just gonna ask Clown what he's after. And Clown doesn't give an answer because we don't have one right now. Hermit's just questions like, what's the purpose of the shiny stars at this point? And then we cut back over and uh, it's it's the group inside of Dead End Crow who are just kind of walking around. And Herm Holy's like, ow, my arm hurts. So Laguna just pulls out an onion, which is actually kind of clever. It just makes her cry so he can activate his ether gear, turn her arm to water, and then turn it back. And he's like, there, it's healed. Like, it still hurts, but it's not like broken anymore you can move it and it's like yeah i forgot that he has like <laughs> that jojo's bizarre adventure like fucking stand power that no one else really has uh but then yeah. a bunch of like dead end crow people show up and they're like oh we must be getting course cl uh, close to the source of the power if all these people showed up uh, they're fighting, they do some fighting, blah, 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 blah. There's so many. When suddenly their ether gear powers deactivate. They're like, what happened? Clean! And we, we cut to the outside where Dead End Crow has grabbed clean ship. And she's like, I have to escape. And she, she fucking ejects, shoots up into the air. And Dead End Crow's like, nope, you're not going to get away from me. And it's the funniest fucking scene. He just fucking football spikes clean into the goddamn planet. And the chapter ends. He's like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> um, yep. That's okay. it. 
Nick, yeah, do you think we, we might have to time travel backwards now, maybe? I don't know. Um, is, is, it, is Queen dead? Is, oh no, is, is, is this a thing where there might be Nick, consequences? Are we in the bad universe? Uh, I don't know. Okay. Um, That's everything for Eden Zero. I don't think. I don't think. I don't think the question is: Are we in the bad universe? But how will Hero demonstrate this in a way that inevitably just sexualizes Rebecca and doesn't actually make you think that the universe is bad? Probably. Yeah. Uh, this final scene, I'm glad that you took humor in it because I just kind of, I, I just read it and I was just like, yeah, she's probably fine. <laughs> it just, just happens in this most, in the most unimpactful way, despite the fact that a fucking giant punches her into the earth and you see a giant goddamn crater appear. Uh, I'm just like, she's probably fine. Um, <laughs> and all this stuff happens. I'm just so distracted by all these characters being like, Ziggy's explanation made no sense. And clearly there's more details we need here. I do appreciate like every character like in the universe complaining like fucking Ziggy explains all this shit, but not the most important. God damn it. Yeah. All right. Uh, I've, I'm, I don't have the energy in me to be annoyed at the series right now. So it's fine. Let's talk about a great chapter, Akane Banashi. Hey, you didn't do a, a fake out with Aliens Area this time. <laughs> Both Story... chapters were equally as good. Um, I liked it. Story twenty-seven conversation. Uh, so we get uh, first off a conversation briefly between Karashi and uh, his friend. I, I, I guess the guy who's been hanging out with him. And uh, he says, oh, hey, look, I know you're frustrated, but hey, you still got second place. It's pretty good, right? And Karashi's like, I didn't even get second place on my own. I tied with the voice actor. It's like, makes sense. Makes sense. I do like him um, being kind of shitty and being like, I tied with the voice actor. Yeah, not even saying her name. Uh, but he also brings up the commentary that they got during the judge's ruling. And uh, his performance was basically compared to sketch comedy while Hikaru's was like a dramatic stage monologue, whereas Akane's was a pure Rakugo. Uh, and so the judges decided that she deserved to win because hers was the best Rakugo performance. The others were good in their own ways. Uh, Karashi's companion is like, I mean, I guess I can understand why you'd be insulted to have your performance referred to as sketch comedy. And Karash is like, no, 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 that's not that. You remember what show Arakawa said after the Jugemu performance was over. You know this isn't where you belong, don't you? Mm. He basically said a pro shouldn't be ruining an amateur contest. Me and the voice actor, we're just amateurs in the end. We weren't even competing on the same level as her. So... He's still a piece of shit, but at least he has a little bit of uh, a sense of awareness of what uh, has gone down. Uh, it's not completely covered up by his narcissism. So something that uh, I wasn't expecting to see happen, which is that uh, Isho Arakawa and uh, Akane's um, conversation uh, has press present for it. Um, I mean, it, it makes sense. I just didn't. I just kind of assumed from the beginning that it was going to be a one-on-one -on -one talk instead of like having like six people kind of crowded in the corner with cameras and microphones and stuff. 
there's tension between them. Yep. And uh, all the journalists are, are, are like, ha, ah, um, thought this would be kind of a, you know, a, you know, very, like very easy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, you know, the young Rakugo performer again to have a conversation with an old master. Won't this be cute? Uh, uh, but um, so one of the reporters says, oh, okay, yeah, Akane, if you got something to ask Mastery Show, we could start with that. And Akane does not fuck around. Just immediately, six years ago, Shigama Arakawa's pupil attempted the Shinichi promotion test. Why did you expel Shinta Arakawa from the school? <laughs> all, all in from the get-go. Big full-page spread just showing the back of her head as she's staring across the table uh, at Arakawa as she he demands this and uh, a bunch of the reporters are like um wh- what's going on here why is she bringing this up he's never talked about this to anyone even when directly asked about this and in this case Isho just does a weird like somewhere in between a smile and a grimace like it's a very weird expression as he's staring down at his hands and then he just immediately asks to be left alone with Akade and all the reporters are like, oh, okay. And uh, they step outside. Isho says, while now looking again, somewhere between like amused and pissed off, did Shigama tell you to ask me that? And Akane looks shocked because like, oh, he just immediately ascertained, of course, that you know, Shigama is her master. But we knew that uh, from during her performance. Uh, and he. Uh, Isho says, did you think I was so blind I couldn't tell whose apprentice you are? And Akane says, yeah, of course you can. I get, yeah, that makes sense. But my master has nothing to do with this. I'm asking because I want to know. And when Isho asks why that is, she says, Shinta Arakawa is my dad. The Rakugoka you expelled. And Isho looks briefly surprised, and then he lowers his eyes, and he says, mm, and you were there that day. What did you think of his performance? And Akane gets, you know, defensive and angry and says, what could I possibly critique? The applause he got told this whole story. It was a performance worthy of, Sh- of the Shinichi title without question. And Isho says... Can you truly say that in your heart of hearts? And we get a little of a flashback to the beginning of Shinta's performance where he was clearly nervous and quiet. And Akane was forced to admit, okay, the Makara was a little stiff, but he couldn't help that. His entire career was riding out the performance. And that just made everyone want to cheer him on even harder. Me and everyone else in the audience. And that's why he got that huge round of applause at the end. And Isho has clearly just been waiting for this. He knew that she was going to say this. He says, let me ask you. Is it the audience's applause that makes it a performance worthy of a Shinuchi? When the listener senses your nerves and lends you their support out of sympathy and compassion, is that the performance of a true master? You can say this of acting or music or any other performing art, not just Rakugo. Applause comes in response to the art. When applause precedes your art, it is a sign of weakness. 
And what a Shinichi needs is rock-solid strength. Anyone whose weakness is visible on stage does not deserve to be an Arakawa Shinuchi. This is fucking awesome. <laughs> this is Dude, the tension in this scene. Like, there are children fighting for their life against Shigaraki, and that hat fight has nowhere near the tension of these two characters just talking about a thing that happened like ten years ago or whatever. Talking uh, about their their opinions on art. Like <laughs> And it's like a good com like I in my wildest dreams when this like conflict was like known to be about to happen. Did not ever think that Arakawa would, uh, or not Arakawa, um, what's the... It is Arakawa, Isho, yeah. Isho Arakawa. Isho Arakawa. I did not think he was going to come at her, like, did you think she had, he had that good of a porn? She's like, of course, my dad had a great porn. She's like, no, really. Did he have that good of a performance? Like, it's like, holy, and her even being like, being like well, not entire. it wasn't a perfect, like, it's like that moment of like, Holy shit! There might there's there's more to this than I was expecting. I'm so in on this. I am so jazzed. Like I I was saying that like for four straight chapters is like next chapter I can't wait. Like I'm finally like I don't think next chapter is gonna be better. This is the fucking awesome one right here. This is really good because as Isha was talking, it's like he's got a really good point. Like you know, yes, Akane, of course. Like it's not her fault. But she has sympathy for her father. She allowed her emotions and her investment in him and what he wanted to do blind her to the shortcomings of the performance that he had. And yes, he did turn it around. We saw it. We saw it ourselves. But we also saw for ourselves that he needed her to help him get into that state. He had no confidence. And then he realized his daughter was watching him and that turned things around. So... Yeah, in a sense, Akane's the one who got that performance, not him. It's crazy, and it's a really good point that Isho makes, which is just like, no, if you're applauding someone because you just want them to succeed, it doesn't mean they did a good job. It means you wanted them to do a good job, and that's it. So, yeah, he's an asshole, but he's got a point, and uh, that makes him much more fascinating as a character and as an antagonist in this. And uh, yeah, we'll see where this goes, because we're just getting this conversation geared up, it seems like. But this was a really good way to stay. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And Akai has worked so hard to get here, and, you can, and all of a sudden she just runs into the wall of just reality, the way things are and were. So, All right. Let's move over to Alien Zaria, chapter number 12. I'm going to interrupt. Akabane. Also, a really good chapter this week. Akabane Kita Ward, Tokyo. So we open this chapter with uh, Shiraku and Tatsumi just kind of walking down the street. It seems like it's the end of their day. Uh, and as they're going, they're thinking about like what they're going to eat, uh, eat that night. Uh, and they're just talking casually. And uh, Shiraku looks across the street and he looks at someone. He's like, that's an alien over there. 
Uh, and we get a nice little conversation just kind of like breaking stuff down between him and, and Tatsumi. It's a very like men in black kind of moment of like, no, no, this this guy just kind of looks all wrong. His his gaze isn't focused. He's not focused straight ahead, but his posture is bizarrely perfect and it doesn't match his clothes. He looks like he's a, an alien wearing a puppet rather than a real person. But you can confirm it if you use your lens tool. So Tatsumi uses that and the lens is like, yeah, there's like an 86 percent chance that this is an alien. Um, which I do appreciate that we are with this tool. We have been immediately set up like, okay, this thing's not going to be perfect. So there is room for error and it's not going to be super reliable all the time. Um, but because Tatsumi is checking out the alien with the lenses, it also points out to him that there's a couple more that are like kind of congregating together with this guy walking down the street that also are probably aliens. So Shiraku's like, all right, well, I'm a cop. And so I think that minorities gathering together and going somewhere is suspicious. We need to tell them, even though we have no proof they're doing anything illegal. So they follow them. Uh, and they come to, uh, you know, they go to it, you know, they go down into a train station. Shiraku Tatsumi keep on following these guys. Shiraku tells Tatsumi what you need to do in order to tail someone. And I keep on getting more and more uncomfortable with these two cops just tailing these, these immigrants who aren't doing anything wrong. <laughs> um, and uh, eventually, uh, as they follow them, they reach a snack lounge and karaoke bar called 14 Light Years. And uh, Shrek is like, oh, oh, okay, yeah, alien aliens are big fans of karaoke, so uh, yeah, yeah, let's go in. Uh, and I like that Tatsumi is like, I can I seriously go in there? It's like a bar, and I'm not old enough to be in a bar. And Shark is like, yeah, but this is official business. You you said you were just following them in case they're doing something wrong. This is not official business. Yeah. As soon as they go inside, they see this woman who looks very tired. Uh, she seems you know, also like uh, like she's drawn to be a little bit older. And she's just vacuuming up. And she says that they're not open yet. Uh, Tatsumi's lenses note that the woman is not human. And so she immediately looks at them as like, are you guys with Foreign Affairs 5? Which surprises Tatsumi because she's like, I thought... To note, she is human. She is human. Yes. yes. So Tatsumi's like, how does she know about it if she's a human? Uh, and uh, as uh, they, you know, hang out there, this very clearly an alien uh, comes in uh, to help out. Uh, and the alien immediately, like, looks at the cops and says, please don't do anything. Don't treat me unkindly. So this is great. Uh, and um, they another one comes out and they say that they don't know of, they don't know anyone on earth. They don't have any contacts here. The woman Akina takes care of them, which is shocking news for Tatsumi. And, uh, Shiraku starts spreading propaganda to Tatsumi saying like, Oh yeah, uh, there's an, uh, there's this, uh, organization of civilians that know about aliens. They're called Polaris and they provide shelter and assistance and they don't like us very much. So, yeah, we don't like them. Uh, they're, they're talking to, he starts talking to the aliens and they say, yeah, we were just, you know, out like looking at the stars. We thought we might be able to like see home tonight, but we, we couldn't really. Uh, 
Akina says that um, she's not part of Polaris. Uh, well, she is, but she like goes very, very seldomly and doesn't really like them very much. Um, she offers to uh, feed the aliens as well as uh, the officers, uh, but the aliens are there to eat cat food. So yeah. there you go. We the, learned this we cat learned. food thing. Yeah, we're sticking with it. I, I thought it might just be that one particular alien. No, apparently it's just a popular thing with it with, uh, they with all, aliens. They I guess all love their cat food. Yep. Um, she, uh, has apparently been trying to teach them to like blend in with humans better and stuff. Shiraku asks her directly, like, why are you taking care of these guys? And Akina says, does one need a reason to take in stray cats? And Shiraku is like, you must have a motive. And Akina is like, ah, okay. You're the type who needs a reason for everything. And Shiraku is like, Answer my questions. I don't like it that you're. Ch- I don't like how cool you were being while answering yeah. my questions with vagaries. <laughs> uh, and Answer so Akina me. just, look- yeah, Akina just looks at him and just flats is like, yeah, I think you're awful. I think you're despicable. But I was trying not to be rude to you when <laughs> you forced me to say it. Um. And so Shiraku starts being an asshole. He's like, you know, it's against regulations for people to know about aliens. We're going to have to take you in and erase your memory. And she's like, yeah, you're going to have to do it by force, aren't you? And, uh, you know, she just explains the aliens are here. This one dude just fucking chowing down on fucking cookies. Be like, oh, shit. I uh, Uh, This has gotten way more awkward than I was expecting. I don't know if I want to do this. Uh... (laughs) So uh, she says that the aliens, are, you know, are are refugees from a from a war, uh, and she says, "Look, you force all these aliens to obey your laws and rules, and then you leave them on their own to fend for themselves." And Tatsumi says, "Well, but the division like rents homes and and shelters aliens." But Akina says, "Yeah, but if they don't have any guidance, then they get into trouble, and then you imprison them or you deport them. That's not really shelter." And Tatsumi, who is the new guy, just kind of looks over at Shiraku. He's like, is, is that true? And Shiraku says, well, our follow-up isn't exactly great. So, yeah, you do kind of suck then. <laughs> um, and he freely admits that, like, yeah, you know, most aliens don't actually settle on Earth. They tend to see it as, like, a big hassle to have to deal with. Uh and Foreign Affairs 5 puts humans first, so as long as we handle problems peacefully, no one really cares how we do it. That's it. We just kind of are practical, and that's it. Uh, and Akina Mayo explains, like, look, I haven't done anything wrong here, and I don't want you to erase my memory. Look, my husband left these guys in my care. Uh, they live in apartments. And there's a company president who frequents the bar who introduced them to work, and he doesn't ask any questions. So that's all we're up to. So Tatsumi asks Shiraku what they should do. And before he can really uh, think of that, Akina looks at them and she says, you know, I hear things running a place like this. Like how those scars mean you have substance implants. And she points at her temple to indicate Tatsumi's temple. Which is surprising even for Shiraku to learn that. Uh, And so Akina basically is like, hey, you know, I can, you know, tell you stuff if you don't erase my memory. In exchange, Shiraku's like, okay, 
and you want us to overlook this in return for information on substance implants. And Akina's like, yeah, there you go. You always want to know the reason behind everything. So, yeah, this was a good chapter. Yeah, um, I, like this lady starts to pull apart their weird fucking kind of shitty organization and puts a new context into like how aliens live on Earth and how our heroes may not exactly be the heroes they think they are and poses more interesting questions than I think this series was intending to have to ask this early on. But, you know, it was really good. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing how as we've gotten on on like when we've gotten start getting into all of the nuance that could be on offer of like, yeah, what it would be like to just have, you know, an organization that deals with aliens just kind of coming to Earth and you don't stop at, well, they'd fight off assassins and stuff. So I know there's like, how do you deal with, you know, aliens just like coming here yeah. and that's just it. And they don't want the uh, government. The aliens don't want the government's help because the government often puts weird sanctions on them that suck. Yeah. So. Yes, I did like this. It was all very quiet uh, and not particularly exciting, but it was interesting. And uh, I definitely like Akina more than I like probably every other character in the series, at least so far, because you just kind of like, look, I've seen through all your bullshit. You can't scare me. <laughs> That's just yeah, she's fucking awesome. Like, I don't know if she's my MVP this week, but she she's certainly in the running, I feel like, for it. Blue box, Nick. Let's talk about that box and all that blue that it has. Yeah, that's why it's called that. Chapter number 66. I'm here to lend an ear. So last time, uh, while Taiki was thinking about, you know, all the stuff that happened with the school festival and with the play where he did not kiss Hime, didn't kiss her, did not, did not, did not. And how he's feeling about her as compared to how he feels about Chinatsu. Uh, Chinatsu showed up in his kitchen and revealed that she is going to be moving back in uh, very shortly. Uh, and uh, Chinatsu says, you know, she's going to be moving back in the day after tomorrow, and she's currently sleeping over at Karen's. Uh, and, uh, you know, she's just in high spirits. And Taiki's like, does she not care about the thing that happened at the play? Maybe she didn't watch it. I mean, but she'd probably tell me if she couldn't make it. And I think Shinatsu just kind of like catches him kind of looking at her thoughtfully because she looks up at him and he looks at her. Uh, but before we can address any of that tension, Taiki's mom bursts in and goes, what a royal mess this is, which is a thing that people say all the time. Um, yeah, I think that she's just kind of, uh, she, she says that like, yeah, we were grocery shopping and Shinatsu's mom spilled a bag outside the front door so she's got to get cleaned up. Uh, but uh, she also goes to help out, and Taiki tries to be like, hey, um, about the festival play, and she plops food into his mouth so he can't talk. Which seems like a very effective means to get this boy to not say anything embarrassing, so keep that up, I guess. Uh, but he's just left to go. He's like, well, but what about the rumors? And what about the fact that it looked like he and I kissed? Or that we were going out? Uh, even if she doesn't mind, I want to talk about it! Alright, calm down, boy. Calm down. <laughs> he's having a tough time. But it's okay, because Nishida-senpai is here. <laughs> he's here to offer his sage advice and to lend an ear to all of Taiki's problems. Uh, 
And he, you know, it's like, it's a Batman practice the next day. He's got his hands on Taiki's shoulders. It's like, look, I know that you didn't kiss. And I know about the rumor and how it's a lie. It is a lie, right? It's a lie. Tell me it's a lie. And we get people in the background saying like, yeah, so she had a crush on a girl. But then he saw her <laughs> because she went to him at his fortune telling booth and just asked about her crush on a track team member. <laughs> So he's really down right now. Uh, so um, he says, you know, I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, I, yeah. So the, the, the play, yeah, I, I saw the confetti ball and I, uh, my heart kind of like skipped a beat when I saw it fall on you guys. And Taiki says, oh, you saw the play? And Nishida says, I'm the team captain. Of course I did. I was with Haru and his girlfriend. <laughs> and also Kano from the from the basketball team, which is how Taiki finds out that Chinatsu saw the play, which I guess you really, really need to know for certain, even though Chinatsu did not say she hadn't and she had promised she would. Mm-hmm. Whatever. So, um, but, you know, he starts talking about the rumor Nishida does, and he's like, look, you know, I, I, I get why people are talking about it. You know, the rumor that gymnastics girl, she's like famous. Anyone who saw it would know it was all an accident. But you know how rumors are. They, they get around. And you should make sure to protect her, which is a nice note that I think that, that, you know, like I'm sure Taiki like knows that Hina will be fine, but I'm glad at least someone is thinking about, Hey, this would have affected two people. Rumors affect everyone that is involved with them as well as the people related to them. So, uh, we get a freeze frame of Hina practicing her rhythmic gymnastics. She's doing the ball performance thing. She's doing a really cool pose. Uh, and uh, Taiki looks at her and we get a callback gag because they're staring at her. So she says, that's going to cost you 4,000 yen, um, which uh, Taiki's like, what? You raised the price? And she's like, no, no, it's because two of you are staring at me. Hey, just cheating. Yeah. Um, like, uh, so she she hustles off and imme- immediately Nishia's like, oh, yeah, there's definitely no truth to that rumor. She would never go out with you. She's too cool and beautiful. <laughs> Uh, and he says, hey, and uh, if I catch anyone talking crap about you, I'll put a stop to it. Um, they, we, uh, the rumors have are also spread over to the basketball team. So uh, is it Nagima? I keep on forgetting her name. Nagisa, uh, Chinatsu's friend. Uh, she uh, looks to Chinatsu's like, hey, are you OK with all the weird rumors going around? Because. You're moving in with that guy soon. Chinatsu's too busy. She's shooting hoops. She doesn't care. <laughs> I, I fucking love it. She's just like, boom, I got it. Steph Curry. <laughs> she literally says she looks like Steph Curry. <laughs> she says Stephen Curry. And I was like, is it your dad? That's, like, why are you calling? I've never that's how it's That's how it's spelled. I know. but it, I had to look at it. I just, in my mind, I'm like, Stephen. Stephen Curry. I was like, was that was that your teacher? Like, why do you formally refer to like Stephen Curry? Mr. Stephen Curry Digsby of the Willingham Helm. <laughs> I uh, I saw the movie by Jeffrey Goldblum the other day. Jeffrey Goldblum. <laughs> uh so uh anyhow. So Nagisa immediately concludes like, oh okay, Chinasa doesn't care about this kind of thing. But does she? <gasps> uh, we cut ahead to when Chinatsu is hanging out at Karen's place. 
and they're talking about like, oh man, it's been so long since we did this while we were little. Uh, and uh, they're talking about this, that, and they're talking about basketball team and work and stuff. And then uh, Karen you know, brings up like, oh god, you're always talking about your team, Kitty. Um, Look at the camera. And, uh, all right, fine. He doesn't want to. <laughs> no, don't don't want to look at the camera. No. Uh, and uh, Karen says that uh, Haru is going to be busy with practice for a bit, and she's you know talking. I was like, he feels kind of standoffish sometimes. He won't contact me as often. And she not points out, yeah, but you get mad when he prioritizes you over practice. And Karen says, yeah, well, because I don't like being his excuse for everything. And anyway. I can't help feeling that he looks his best when he's playing badminton. Aw, that cute. But that makes Chinatsu think about something. Uh, Karen doesn't catch it just yet, but she, you know, like, you know, it's like, oh, they get, they start to, you know, hanging out and they're like, oh, I'm going to have cake and I, I'm going to, I'm having my cake and eat it too because I got my boyfriend and I've also got Chinatsu to provide me all the attention my boyfriend's not providing me right now, which is healthy. Uh, and uh, she also says, I also got to make sure that, you know, I shoo away the flies who aren't on your level, which Jinatsu, goes over Jinatsu's head. But Karen says, look, um, one of my friends from another school is a boy who wants to get to know you and he wants me to get your number for him. And of course, Jinatsu's like, yeah, no, I don't I don't want that. Um, and she says, like, look, I, I'm not good at talking to people. I don't know. And Karen says something kind of creepy. Which is, yeah, you've never really been interested in romance, right? You remember not Mr. Nakamura back in kindergarten? You were the only one who wasn't interested in him. <laughs> it's just like, they were in kindergarten. He was an adult. Shut up. <laughs> well, I like it because it's all like, it's, it's just a bunch of kids being like, I want to marry you one day. Like, very adorable. But it's in fucking Chinatsu in the background being like, ball. And she's <laughs> like, she's like, Stephen Why Curry. ball. <laughs> Stephen Curry. <laughs> I'm so young that Stephen Curry hasn't even begun his NBA career yet, <laughs> but I look just like him. <laughs> um, and she's like, no, that everyone else was being weird. I was being a normal kid in that moment. Um, but she admits like, yeah, I mean, I guess I was never really as comfortable with that kind of thing as people our age were. But now Karen kind of notices she's looking weird. And so she says, is there someone you're interested in now, though? And Chinatsu goes through some expressions. Uh, she looks kind of like caught and then she looks uncomfortable. Her toes clench, which uh, I have to give this manga credit for showing a girl's feet and doing it for a purpose other than titillation. It's like, no, it's show to show that she is unnerved and uncomfortable. And she's holding a pillow this whole time while they're talking, you know, in just like girl sleepover mode. But now she's like clutching it for comfort and she, while blushing, says, yeah, there is someone that I'm interested in. And, of course, we are cut over as she says that to Taiki trying to sleep. Um, so, hey, has Chinatsu caught a uh, bit of feeling for the guy that she's uh, going to be living with? Uh, is it possible that she's talking about someone else? What's going on That'd here? crazy. So, yeah. Catching feelings, Nick. Yeah. So... This was a good chapter. Uh, there were some nice little laughs, but I did like the way that things played out at the end as well. Just getting like, oh, serious teen romance vibes now. 
It's so amusing, too, that we had two female characters have a sleepover, and at no point where they're just like, let's feel each other's boobs or anything like crazy <laughs> like that. Like, you're just like, oh, man, like, it really bucks a lot of trends. Uh, although, unfortunately, their conversation fails the Bechtel test, I think, three separate times. Yeah, so. <laughs> no, four separate times, because also the guy that she brings up is like, oh, there was a guy who was asking for your phone number. No, I'm not interested. <laughs> Look, you're not wrong. <laughs> Oh, uh, Nick. Still enjoyable, though. So, Sadly. All right. Sadly. All right. got to say goodbye to a dear friend of ours. Yeah. Leave the this. memories alone. Because I don't want to up. say the way it is in my memory. I'm just going to sing this song as you recap the whole chapter. Tell me a lie. No, wait, wait, wait. Uh, Tell me a and say that you'll be there. Doran, Dororan. No, chapter... Nick, it's the final chapter. Give it a real reading. Doran, Dororan, chapter say 36. Final chapter. A happy, kind world. I'm going to cry. So... <laughs> Don't cry, Quinn. It'll be okay. Look, don't cry. You 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 look just like um the villain because his eyes were cut open. Look, look, see, blood's coming out, tears are coming out. It's just the same. We exactly. all have fluids yeah. coming out our eyes, so you know no, that's it's right, all good. right. Uh so his eyes have been cut, so he's blinded. Uh and he's like, Oh, and my sense of supernatural energy is all screwy, I guess. Uh so, but he's like, oh, well, but uh, they're, they're going to attack me. The goal must have been to obscure my vision and supernatural energy detection. Uh, it must be the seal that he's targeting. And uh, Dora goes straight in with Kusanagi, going to slash the seal and kill it. And so uh, a villain is like, I sense their presence and can't pinpoint their location. So I'll just lash out in every direction with my two skies destruction attack. Uh, and blast him away. And then uh, when he senses uh, Dora making noise from being blown back, he goes after him and keeps on attacking him. And he's like, ah, this is the end. Uh, and Dora's like, this is it. Or rather, it would be if we were alone. But we're not alone. Okay. Hold on a moment. Hold on a moment. This is the final antagonist of the series. We have seen Dora and Kusanagi go through a lot of different character growths, but this is the final antagonist with the most power we've ever seen. How can these two characters possibly overcome this gap of power? We gotta do a theme song power up. They work together. Yeah, there we go. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that every fucking conflict they've ever had. They were just like, but if we work together, <laughs> we can cut them in half. And it works like, 100% of the time. It's like that bit where, you know, they people, you know, advocate for unions by saying it's like, it's like you can break one stick very easily. But if you tie a whole bundle of sticks together, then the strongest man in the world can't break them. It's like, yeah, but if you just if you do that, like over and over and over, it eventually like loses its impact on people. It's like, no, 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 no. Dave's got this one bit he does with the sticks that he does every single day. And uh, every single stick thing, yeah. just undo the stick thing. It's just this thing. Uh, 
villain guy goes after Dora is uh, slashing him at stuff uh, while Dora and Kusanagi are like, we support each other. And when one is at the breaking point, the other supports. And when we join forces, our strength together will be unthinkable alone. Uh, And um, he just steps through the slashes and um, attacks the Kusanagi. And And he wins. (laughs) wins. It's the best. The dude's just like, ow! I'm dead! <laughs> Fades away into fucking dust. The seal is slashed, and he goes, No! I'm too strong for this to happen to me! Who would have thought they would work together? Uh, and Han, Han Hanzo is dead. Yeah, and um, Glasses guy director is like, you don't have to be obsessed with that strength anymore. Let's cross over to the next world together, Big Brother Hanzo. If only Dora and Kusanagi could, I don't know, like perform basic first aid. Uh, then I could just live instead. But I guess I'm dead. Goodbye. Um. I don't know. Uh, Kusanagi's disappearing because remember that was Nick, a stake that was Nick, not happening. What death is more emotional, this guy or Edshot? When you put it like that, uh, <laughs> there were two big deaths yeah. to jump this week. Uh, Edshot or this guy? Which one? I mean, I remember Edshot's name consistently, at least. So. There's a reason why I'm calling him Edshot, and this guy gets he's called this guy. It's like, and I point to the screen. Like, you can see what I'm pointing at. Yeah, that's right. So, both Kusanagi and Dora, as Kusanagi is disappearing to go back to the world of Mononoke and say goodbye to the world of humans and Dora forever, uh, they're like, oh no! I've got to say something. And at the same time, they look at each other and say, thank you. And they both go, he, 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 he. And Dora says, I'm glad I met you, Kusanagi. And Kusanagi says, I'm glad I met you too, Dora. Will the world be kind and happy now? And Dora says, you bet. And then they start to cry a little. And they remember, man, all the different things they got to do together so many different things like remember that scene when where... dora when they were like sitting together and talking and when dora used kusanagi like a sword and when dora used kusanagi like a sword uh <laughs> yes so uh kusanagi uh disappears uh, the, and the series makes misses a massive opportunity to have a giant Dororon sound effect go across <laughs> really? the heavens, yeah. like Dororon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the, what the series title was referring to. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so Genchio shows up just as Kusanagi has disappeared, and Dora's like, "Yeah, he, he went back to his world," and Genchio. Looks sad and says, I didn't get so the chance sad. to take a say goodbye. He's like, he didn't remember you. It's fine. <laughs> you didn't. There was you and it just confused him. Yeah, you just like went away for a while and then showed up to never be mentioned. Okay. But we shouldn't be sad because Kusanagi's out there doing his best and I better do my best over here too. I better find the best new path for me to take in my new life. Yep. So, every. <laughs> forgot about this so uh, everyone's uh, clearing out the rubble because a lot of destruction happened um 
and we get some characters desperately, desperately trying to remind us that they had character traits during this. By the way, um, now doesn't talk during this chapter. She was arguably like the fourth most important character in this series, and she does not talk in this chapter. What point? Nick, she can't fail the Bechdel test if she doesn't talk. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Uji literally goes, as he's helping clear out Rebel, this is my chance to show how awesome I am, because that was his character trait. Uh, the director uh, looks at a memorial that's been set up for all of the uh, samurai that died in this great battle and says, we'll take it from here, Mr. Sukuhara. And well, I'll take care of your garden too, because he had a garden. Remember that? That was like his thing. Mm-hmm. You know, he had a garden. That was uh, let you know that he was actually a person and not just like a figurehead that was just there to give plot exposition. He was a real person with hopes and dreams and hobbies. I wasn't though. I was just a walking exposition dump. Yes. So. Uh, Dora is also helping out, uh, as is uh, Genshio, and Genshio comes over and it's like, "Hey, I, I just heard that you're quitting the Izanagi Corps." Uh, you know, the Monoke could come back at any time, so we're going to continue as an organization. And Dora points out, uh, in a way that makes perfect sense, I don't have any supernatural energy. Uh, Genshio, in her own way, tries to be nice by saying, I'll let you be my servant. Uh, but Dora says, no, I don't want to do something like that. I'm going to become a police officer. Then I could just shoot people with a gun. It you won't know what? matter maybe how much spirit energy I have. Maybe it's a good thing that the series is ending. <laughs> oh, man. I thought Dora was okay before this, but I should have known the whole time. Just, uh... Dora's always sucked, so this is a perfect lateral move for him. Yeah. Um, Genshiro doubts he'll, he will be a good cop, which is an oxymoron. Uh, and uh, Dora says, well, I'm going to become an officer and dot 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 because we've got to set up what Kusanagi's doing he's I'm gonna become a Mononoke cop like we see him with a little hat and like a potato (laughs) (laughs) oh god so Kusanagi has just fought off a beast Mononoke from attacking a fish looking one by I don't know headbutting it i don't know uh and the fish one says why did you save me and kusanagi says i can't stand by when someone's being bullied because i want to and he and dora say it together make this a kind happy world mm-hmm. well it was an appropriate ending for the series <laughs> what do you mean elaborate this is the perfect ending in every way uh for the series, yes. yes. I, yes. I mentioned before we have a top 20 list of our favorite moments. Now, I did pull back. I was like, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Quinn. I forgot to do mine. I, did I just to- I totally forgot. I, did- I, I couldn't think past the top two. I'm sorry. <laughs> I did come up with a top 20 things that Kusanagi has turned into. like Because this was the creative crux of the series. So I just want to go through these really quick. Number 20. Uh, was a cushion. He turned it to last chapter, which was pretty cool. Number 19. Wow, there's 19 better than that? <laughs> number 19, I believe he turned into a fan at one point. That was pretty cool. 
Uh, I think he did. Number 18 through one is a sword. He turned into a sword. <laughs> it was it was pretty fucking awesome. Got to give it like a big round of applause. Hey, hey, it was pretty uh, good. I guess because Nagi did turn into a sword properly at least 18 separate times. So I guess I'll give you that. Yeah. <laughs> so those are, those are my favorites. Uh, look, it's done. And I think we can all collectively not drop kayfabe and just say this was a great series. Uh, this is going to be spoken of in Legend. There's going to be a lot of like, what was the greatest series? Never get an anime. What was the greatest underrated series in Jump? What was the greatest series in Jump? Just period. This series top the list every time. Someone's like the last what? The last Sai who? Nobody cares about that. Everyone was just like Deron, Rond, whatever it was with all those <laughs> major characters. I'll just be over here being like Bret Hart and being like, he just sucked. He was just gar- he was just completely it was just a completely garbage series and uh should uh, never have uh, been in the business and uh <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. Um now are, Duran you, are, are you sad that it's gonna be gone? No. Okay. All right. We only have thirty minutes left to talk about five more series, so goodbye, Duran Duran. Yeah. I'll miss Maybe not you, but I'll miss something. Uh, I've got a puzzle for you, Quinn. It's not even a puzzle. It's it's going. I I made this far too obvious, okay. but I just wanted to make reference to one particular thing. All right, here we go. Pop up power bombing prize fighter. <laughs> um, I think passionately, passionately prefers pandas. I don't know what the passionately prefers pandas thing. That's some Kevin Owens gimmick. I don't understand. Oh, yeah. did he want them to return to WWF or something like that? Kevin Owens, for some reason, just just has a, a recurring thing of pandas, and his latest T-shirt is Kevin Owens rules. Also pandas, and there's a, a feral panda in a Kevin Owens shirt on the Kevin Owens shirt. All right, that sounds pretty. Yeah. Cool. You're like pandas. <laughs> All right, Nick. Let's talk about lesbians. Yeah, chapter forty-six: the genius princess and the fairy queen. I'm not gonna make you. I'm not gonna make a bet on this one. No. Uh, so Maloli finishes up her performance. Uh, Mimini immediately goes backstage to try and find Sorachika. Talks to him, and she's like been, you know, like. Her attention has been grabbed by what she saw during uh, Maloli's performance because she says, look, you know, my fairies, they were really happy and it was really fun, but I feel like she wanted something from me. So what did you hear from her performance? Because Sorachika has that ability to you know, be able to interpret people's performances and know what they're trying to say underneath it. And Sorachika straight up says that Maloli was telling Mimin, I love you so much. If you choose me as your number one, then I would be truly happy. That was what she was saying through her performance. And I do really like Mimin's like, answer to this that she shared with Sorachika, which is like, I don't really understand it. But, you know, Maloli plays with distortion. She's free. So isn't she happy? Why does she want me to choose her? Would that make her happy? I mean... I, I guess I only understand myself in the end. And Sorachika's like, ha okay. Um, and uh, so Sorachika says, hey, so are you, wait, you understand what I mean when I don't understand, even though you can understand people that way? And Sorachika just says, I only understand whether something is interesting or boring. 
She goes off. Uh, Sorachika very creepily pokes his head around the corner uh, where uh, Lucky is at a vending machine. And he says, so you think you can remember? Hmm. We go over to where Mimin is. Uh, she goes over to Maloli and she says, I chose you. She voted for Maloli's performance for the contest. Uh, and she's privately thinking to herself, like, I mean, all I did was like push a button. I don't really get it. I don't get why this makes her happy. I don't understand anyone besides myself. So I don't understand Maloli, even though I love her so much. So choosing her is all I can really do for her. But what I want to tell her is, and she just leans into Maloli and says, I love you so much. And she thinks that, you know, this, she's my fairy queen. And she says, you're number one. And Maloli looks back at her and she's like, Min's not disappointed that she chose my performance over hers. She doesn't look that way at all. And she thinks to herself, I think my idea of you as number one and your idea of me as your number one are different. So she has grasped that. But what she says while grabbing Mimin's face is, I know. And she thinks she loves me. I've known that for a while, but I didn't know that her reason for choosing me was different. Uh, and she pulls Mimin down into a hug while thanking her for choosing her. Uh, Fanta and Adame, uh, that's his name. Uh, I've gotten his name wrong so many times. I even just wanted to call him Ponytail Guy. They're watching this happen from a balcony. Uh, just being like, yeah, ship it. Um, <laughs> although Fanta's got an unreadable expression. He's looking at this like, why are people getting along with each other? This doesn't make sense. Why are people putting each other ahead of themselves? That doesn't make any sense at all. I like to think he's like a Vince McMahon type, and he's just like, if you two are going to hug and kiss, why aren't you doing it on stage? We can get some attention, goddammit. HLA. Get into this mud pit, damn it. Hey, have a Thanksgiving Day Jello battle or whatever bullshit we did for like seven years. <laughs> Far too long. Yeah. Uh, there's a bit of conversation happening about the performance that just happened. The results for the contest come out and uh, Lucky's team wins again. Uh, Mimin's team, Mimin's performance uh, outvoted Maloli's, but by a much narrower margin. It's only 562 to 438. A relatively comfortable margin of victory, but way, way, way closer. Uh, everyone just kind of agrees, like, yeah, I mean, it was they were, they were both really good. Uh, so now it's time for Sadame going up at Sorachika. And Sadame, of course, is up on the balcony with Fanta, who looks at him and says, hey, feel bad for you. You're going to lose. And Sadame turns into a ventriloquist dummy for this last panel. Like, I, it's very creepy looking. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. Like, it looks like his brain just broke and he became like a, like, he just like, <laughs> like someone pushes him over and he just shatters in the marbles or something like that. You're like, there was never a Sadame ever. There was never a person called that. What are you talking about? We stayed in his house. <laughs> uh, so, I can only yeah. hope and assume Sadame just gets his shit pushed in. Like, just fucking demolished. Because, like, right now, there's not a huge... I haven't gone back to look at the scores, but there's... 
like at this point, Lucky has like a decent lead. Um, yes. From the two f- previous fights. So we'll, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Like, I had to assume this one's going to be a pretty big swing in the other way. Yeah, Sorochika's essentially got to win 1,000 to 0 for Which, for which like might happen. Advantage. Like, it's been pretty clear yeah. at this point the Otogamis crush everybody else they face. So. Yes. Yeah. Um, so Maloli and Mimin confirmed love each other. Uh, don't read into that at all. So <laughs> It's just the platonic love, everybody. You don't have to start writing your fan fictions and all that sort of stuff, even though they are a very cute couple. Uh, very interesting conversation internal that they each have just with themselves, where they kind of are like trying to figure out what that means that I do really like. Uh, but um, yeah. So. Yes. All right, Nick, let's talk about martial magic and muscles. Chapter 121, Dot Barrett and the Limits of Tolerance. And we open with a color spread, uh, a color spread of the worst barbershop quartet you'll ever run into. Uh, these guys would not work together. They would not harm no. guys, unfortunately. No, absolutely not. Uh, so we continue where we left off last time. Lance is like, hey, don't fuck with this, Dot. I, I got this. Don't worry about it. And Dot's like, fine, fuck you then. And uh, Epidem's like, all right, fine, let's do this. Starts using his Orcalcum uh, magic, starts shredding Lance apart. Lance is attacking back, and he's uh, he tries to activate his Bonkai. He's like, uh, and his line starts like exploding. He tries to summon it, and it has not opened. And Epidem's like, hmm, it seems you have not perfected that power. Or perhaps anger has robbed you of your control. Then you are nothing to speak of after all. It just shoots him with a bunch of fucking giant crystals or calcum shards, basically. It wasn't until this chapter that I realized that his wand is the spoon that he uses to eat pudding. Yes, that does seem to be the case. (laughs) That's pretty dope. Uh, Lance is not doing so good. Dot's like, try to tell him. And then we see Epidem has noticed something on the floor, goes to pick it up, and it's the locket of uh, Lance's sister. And he's just like, oh, you have a younger sister. This wrath you feel. Could your sister have been one of my guinea pigs? And we see Lance obviously get angry. And Dot's like, wait, what? what's going on? And he's like, ah, you have been so angry the whole time. I'm very sorry to say, however, that no matter how important they are to you, to me, they're nothing more than a point of data. A sad conflict, I know. Would you like some pudding? Sugar <laughs> is good for anger. <laughs> it's not, by the way. But it's like... It's, no. Lance says nothing. He's like, not to your liking? Unfortunate. Ah, I have it. A replacement sister. Here you go. <laughs> and like this twisted version of his sister, like formed out of Orichalcum, like comes out as like, brother. And he's like, yes, this will help. It is no different than replacing a puppy, I should think. And obviously Lance is like, fuck you, what's going on? And he goes to attack, but Dot intercepts him, kind of gets in front of him and uses his flom attack. Uh, a bunch of explosions going off and Epidem's like, you're not that good in terms of like combat power. So this is actually significantly easier. Dot runs in, punches him, Epidem just dodges it and then like basically like turns his leg into Orichalcum and just kicks Dot in the stomach and like sends him flying. And Lance is like, what the fuck are you doing? This is my problem. Get in my way and I'll kill you. And Dot gets up, punches Lance in the face, and says, that crappy attitude of yours has always pissed me off. And then he thrusts his fist in front of him. He says, your little sister's in danger. How could I not help? Complain all you want, I won't back off. Why the hell are you carrying that burden by yourself anyway? 
we're friends. And we see he has opened up his palm and he has Lance's little locket with him. So Lance yeah. knows he's got a friend. And he says, this is important to you. Hold on to it this time. So Lance grabs it, punches Dot in the face a couple times. He says, that's about four me. times <laughs> for the one punch he got. Yeah. yeah. And he says, that's for hitting me. And it just says, all right, the two of them are going to work together. Don't hold me back, idiot. I actually just calls him Dot. <laughs> I had an idiot in there, and Dot's like, same to you. So they're on the same page now. Yeah, it's a very straightforward chapter, but I did quite like it. Uh, I like the, you know, this, you know, I like it when Dot shows that he's a good guy uh, in moments like this. So It was very much a simple chapter. Like, th- even the moment when you did, like, the punch, I was like, because he has the amulet in his hand. But, like. All of it was executed really well. Like it, yeah, it did not break any barriers, but every part of it just worked with how it was done. So good chapter. I mean, the one thing that it did differently was the villain while monologuing about, you know, like bringing back, you know, dead person that I have killed was, would you like some pudding? Uh, which <laughs> does kind of disrupt the, the flow in, a, in an amusing way. All right, let's quickly go through the elusive samurai chapter 75. Oh, knock it. Onakagehara. There we go. 1335. Uh, Yoshige uh, commands a retreat uh, to the charge that had happened because everyone was getting their asses kicked by a single general. Uh, and uh, so we see like a retreat movement happen so that the forces kind of go in a loop so that they can kind of keep the pressure against the enemy army while embarking on a retreat so that they don't just like completely leave themselves exposed and they can actually properly retreat, blah, 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 blah. Uh, the, this happens. Shibuka gets really pissed off about this because now everyone's running. So he charges towards everyone. But, uh, oh, there was an attack from my blind spot it wasn't actually from his blind spot it was yori uh, i forget his name yoroshige's son the guy who nobody pays attention to uh and he attacked him um and no one noticed him yes uh shibuka was briefly distracted from this all the troops get away uh he commands everyone not to chase after them because they would have to go across the river and they've got archers stationed there and stuff like that uh so he's really pissed off about this uh, Ayako picks up Kodro for when he, you know, got blasted off his mount by the Daikatana. Uh, and everyone, you know, go makes a tactical retreat. They rest and recover. They bring up, like, man, dude, you were really reckless out there. Nezu scolds Kodro for uh, behaving so recklessly. And he's like, look, you did not even have any consideration for the differences in skill, you fool. And Tokiyuki gets pissed off at him. He's like, hey, I overheard you guys talking last night. You're the one who pushed him to do that. Kodro is a valuable member of your clan. Why are you so hard on him? And Nezu hesitates and says, I apologize for the unseemliness of my family. Kodro's mother was my younger sister. A Miyuchibito of the Kamakura Shogunate forced himself on her, causing her to be with child and he already had a wife and refused to take responsibility. Because he was close to the Hojo, my protests were ineffective. Burdened in this way, my sister died in childbirth, leaving behind an illegitimate child. So that's Kodro's backstory there. And uh, Nezu straight up says, look, look, overall, I believe that the Hojo rule was beneficial and I will fight for you. 
but please understand that many in the inner circle greatly abused their power. And uh, we don't follow up on that at all, really, in this chapter. But I did like that we had that moment of like, hey, so you're from royalty, which in this time were especially bastardy. So just want you to know, Tokyuki, people in your family sucked and people close to your family sucked. So, um, And Kodra says, like, look, you know, he acts that way, but Nezu gave me a home. Uh, I have I owe him my life, basically. Uh, and Tokyu uh, gets in him with him and is like, look, I understand you owe that to him, but you're my retainer. You're my friend. If you rush into battle and get yourself killed, that'll make me sad. So don't do that. And Kojiro agrees not to do that. And immediately is like, all right, back to weird jokey jokes about how Tokyuki gets turned on by being in danger because he's like, what did it feel good when you were being attacked by that giant sword? <laughs> um we get a kind of moment of bonding between the two of them because Kojiro says, like, look, you enjoy a good escape. I enjoy a good fight. You know, you enjoy escaping for people. I enjoy facing an opponent who's stronger than me. So they're like, yeah, well, we'll work together from now on. And Tokyo's like, don't act recklessly on your own. Work together with me. It's a nice little bonding moment between them. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the kids have a moment where they're like, yeah, we're, we're going to, you know, get better. We're all going to get, we're going to learn more. We're going to get stronger. Yorashige is privately listening to their conversation and he's encouraged because like, yeah, I mean, I can't see the future uh, out here. So I wanted to keep them safe, but now they're like starting to choose their own paths and I've got to allow them to have a summer adventure. I've got to let them venture off on their own, basically. Which is both for like fatherly reasons, but also practical reasons of like, we need these guys to get better so that we can win this war, basically. Uh, and then the chapter basically ends with just a setup, a follow up to the confrontation they had with Shibukawa before. Uh, instead of sending a child out to fight him, uh, mistakenly, uh, Yukiyasu is going to fight him one on one instead. And we will see how that goes, I guess, next time. Yes. Good stuff. All right, Nick. Let's talk about Black Clover, page 355, Severance. Great TV show, by the way. I've talked very highly about it. Yes, yes, you have. Uh, So, uh, Lucius, is it Lucius or Lucian? I thought it was Lucius. Okay. Yeah, I thought I just thought that made sense That's because right, Julius. That's right. I call him Luscious. That's right. Luscious Lucian. I got it. Well, right. And so it was Julius. Now it's Lucius. Yes. So. So uh, Lucius has turned into his evil form. He has turned uh, the sister into one of his uh, abominations, and asked to look like he'd been defeated. And he's like, no, not done yet. And Lucius is just like. You are lying. You don't even have the strength to move. You will be dead soon. Noel Mimosa show up. They they use you know Noel does her big spiral dragon sea roar whatever, and the sister holds her arm out and creates like a box, like a spatial magic box around the attack, and she's like, "Wait, why?" And Lucius explains, "It's Beelzebub's power. I used my soul magic to incarnate and purify a devil," and. uh yeah, they're like, wait, what are you going to do? What do you intend to do? He's like, I've taken total control of the underworld's remaining supreme devils and all the devils on all the other levels. 
and humans who now use devils now become new, higher life forms. They gain wisdom and nearly immortal bodies, and she is but one of the first. I'll call them paladins, warriors who will fight for the sake of the world, and I will rule it. The wizard king will be nothing compared to me. Hmm. Yes, let's see. I shall be the wizard emperor. <laughs> I shall be the phoenix king. Like, just like, I'll just make up a new title that doesn't sound silly at all. <laughs> I'll be something much cooler. The wizard emperor. Uh, well, what about wizard uh, 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 supreme emperor? Shut up. Shut up. I'll think of something. I'll show uh, Melissa goes to try to heal Asta. Uh, the sister casts a spell, spatial magic, and basically like stops everyone. It's, a, it's in her words, a cage of severed space. And she's like, whoever, whoever would have thought I could use a spell like that? Master Lucius' power is truly great. And they're like, oh, don't worry. It'll be fine. Before long, you'll understand that Master Lucius is right. And they're like, no, you can't. Like, you're Asta's. And sister holds out an arm. And she's like, I'm sorry, Asta. But your death is sure to bring true peace and happiness to the world. And Asta... Is like, sister, I swear I'll save you. And she can't finish. She fucking and just deletes Asta. There was a pile of blood where he was, and he is not there anymore. So Mm -hmm. we don't even know what happened with that. No, Um, he's just gone. Yeah. Yeah. Noel, Secre, and Mimosa are all horrified. Uh, Noel screams out in horror, Asta's name. Uh, Lucius is like, Judgment Day will occur seven days from now. It will be humanity's final holy war, fought to bring an end to the world where nothing but foolish war exists. My foresight has already shown me the outcome, but you'll fight anyway, won't you? I've foreseen that as well. Isn't that right, captains? And all the, you know, Clover Kingdom captains show up. William Vance is like, what the fuck, Master Julius? What's going on? Uh, Yami's like, this guy's magic. It's not magic or key. It's not even close, but that face, that body, you're Julius! And he screams that out as we see Julius activate sort of a, like a spatial magic around him, and he eisenopes out of that area. <laughs> yeah, it's a very Eisen moment with, you know, the portal closing around his eyes as he's just like, bye! And, uh, yeah. He leaves the cube uh, surrounding the girls, vanishes, and Asta's fucking gone. So this was a great beginning to this arc. Uh, This, like, last three chapters that we had, very, very good reintroduction to the series and establishing the stakes and establishing, fuck, our heroes are goddamn screwed. it's a very interesting way of handling it too. Like I, the the way the stuff that has happened with Sister Lily is way more interesting for some reason than everyone growing elf ears and just being evil. <laughs> I think. Um. So yeah, I am actually really really hyped for this. This has been very good. Yes, great stuff. Great great stuff. Okay, let's close things out with One Piece chapter one. 1058 new emperors it's a bounty chapter uh, nick it's uh, it's a bounty chapter yep we're gonna find out how much all the straw hats are worth uh, in in bellies now so um 
Luffy last time, you know, went through with let's follow Kid over the waterfall and everyone's really mad at him, especially Nami, who has locked him in a cage and is just beating him up. Where did they have the cage on the ship? Feels like an important question. Like they just have a cage just hang from the ceiling. Also, so Nami's just... where is it hanging from? They're on a ship. They're on the deck. There's masts and yeah. stuff. I don't know. So Nami's you know just beating up Luffy he's like how did you you put us all at risk and Luffy's just like I'm Tommy I'm just Tommy. I love it I'm uh, sorry <laughs> I love that we get the caption of like Monkey D. Luffy Emperor of the Sea <laughs> uh, Jimbe finds this very very amusing until Nami turns on him and is like, don't you coddle him, Jimbe? Uh, there's a joke uh, where Jimbe's like, oh my god, does she have Supreme King hockey? Which apparently some people on Twitter took seriously. Uh, there, uh, I was going <laughs> to say, there's got to be a bunch of One Piece fan theory videos like that were just like, holy shit, a straw hat has Supreme King hockey that you wouldn't expect. Yeah. Uh, I also like that uh, this is all going on and most of the straw hats are just kind of like doing their thing. Zoro's sleeping. And uh, Frankie says, did you see how the Thousand Sunny handled that fall? There was only one broken yard. <laughs> He's so proud of his boy. I'm yes. happy for him. Uh, Robin gets the new bounty posters. And uh, yeah, here's what we got. Chopper, 1,000. <laughs> still doesn't, it, still it, not it, getting it anything. Worth it slowly increases as well. So we start with the lowest and then just increases. Yep. Uh, Nami is a 366 million, uh, which is a shit ton. Yes, I uh, love how she's like, Can I collect up my bounty? Like, what the <laughs> fuck is this? <laughs> Brooks at 383 million, Frank is at 394 million. Uh, and the wanted poster doesn't have him on it, it's just the thousand sunny. Which... I, I do like that, like, because they've had pictures of him in the past, yeah. So at some point, like I like the same way that like every other dumb bounty poster joke has come up. Like at some point, this is going to be a relevant detail. Why did they put the picture of the ship in there instead? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Usopp's is five hundred million. Robbins is nine hundred thirty million. Uh, and Sanji's is one point zero three two billion. Jinbe's is 1.1 billion. Zoro's is 1.111 billion. Sanji, despite being worth over a billion, is really upset that he's in fourth place of the crew now. There's a new monster trio, Nick. That's right. It's just like when Bleach wasn't in the big three anymore. Toriko took over. Toriko's kind of like Jinbe when you think about it. Anyway, so... (laughs) Prove me wrong, Nick. Prove me wrong. You were thinking about it for a moment. What, am I wrong? I'm not going to address okay. this any further. I'm not going to. I'm not going to dignify this conversation with my participation. Luffy, Emperor of the Sea, is worth three billion berries, and he's not. No one's even paying attention to him. He's just like, I'm sorry. Please let me out. I'm hungry. <laughs> so Meanwhile, in the background, Sanji and Frankie, or Sanji and Zoro, just having a fight. It's great. Yeah, because because. Uh, Okay, here's what the scene we really needed, though. <laughs> so we cut over to one of the islands controlled by Buggy, Emperor of the Sea, the genius jester, who is getting the shit beaten out of him by a crocodile and Mihawk. In private, really the rest of off. his crew is like, dude, 
This guy rocks so much. I fucking He's so love cool. Him. He's so fucking cool. And just like Mihawk's got his sword up to Buggy's throat, even though it's just his head hanging there from Crocodile's hand uh, with his separation powers. And Crocodile's like, the entire idea for this entire organization came for the two of us. Why are you labeled the boss? Uh, and yeah, so that's that's happening. Crocodile says he's been humiliated. <laughs> Buggy flat says, please don't kill me. And Mihawk says, that's not an option. <laughs> He's already decided. Galdino, who it took me a little while to realize is Mr. Three, yep. uh, is is there. He's still kissing ass. Um, and Mr. Buggy's One like, is, why are you? Mr. One is oh, yeah. there as well. He absolutely is, yes. Uh, Buggy says that Galdino has betrayed him. And I was like, I was never working for you. So he's right. He's right. Um, um, and uh, so everyone's like, well, what do we do now? And they're just kind of like, well, we follow Crocodile. And uh, I don't know if we're meant to recognize all the figures that are in this room besides yeah. Mr. One. It's so. uh, it's Mr. One. It's uh, what, Moji, I think is his name. The lion guy and the lion tamer. Uh, and then that's uh, Kabaji next to him. And then Alvita. Basically, the last members okay. we knew of Buggy's like, uh, members of his team. Right. Okay. Right. When you said Alvita, I remember that she was working with with uh, with Buggy. So Kabaji's got a hat now. Is that what's going on? Yeah, Kabaji <laughs> got himself a sweet ass hat, man. Look at he's got a hat. How okay. can you tell and he's got his iconic scarf, Nick? These are the details you need to remember when Jin shows up. <laughs> I need you to remember these. He doesn't have his unicycle. That's he doesn't, that's and that is his defining feature. So I'll I'll, I'll say that's an important detail. <laughs> We uh, get a bit of a flashback to explain how this whole thing kind of came together, uh, where the you know Navy went off to collect all of the former emperor of all the former warlords, and so Crocodile showed up uh, or, or you know contacted Mihawk by uh, Denden Mushi, and it was like, hey, so I've got an idea, uh, you know, if you want to hear me out. And Mihawk was at first like, I've got no reason to trust you or anything. Crocodile's like, look, come on, it's not a bad deal. Uh, with our name value combined, the Navy will have to, you know, take notice of us. You know, you we used to be a naval hunter, right? So come on, we got something in common. And uh, then we, they, of course, eventually met up with Buggy. I do appreciate that Buggy was not trying to pull a fast one and grab all the glory for himself. His followers were just like, they were just so happy to just fucking like make a cool poster for him. And, uh, then when it turned out that they had put him in the forefront, he was like, oh my God, they're going like, to kill no, me. Why no, did you do this? No. <laughs> um, yeah, we get, you know, a, a flashback showing when Crocodile showed up and wrecked house uh, to destroy all the Navy that were coming after Buggy. Uh, and Buggy was just like, oh my God, he's going to collect all the money that I owe him. <laughs> but instead he was like, yeah, if you can't pay me back, then you need to make it up for me. I'm starting a new company and I need funds. And Buggy tried to be like, yeah, yeah, I'll be your errand boy. You just, yeah, I've got all these guys' phone relations. Yeah, I could set you up, Crocodile. <laughs> oh, you're going to love me so much. Please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. <laughs> and uh, Crocodile is really pissed off over the poster and how he looks like a fool who's working for Buggy instead of, you know, controlling him and all of his resources instead. Uh, and we see their bounties as well. 
Crocodiles has a bounty of 1.965 billion, and Mihawk has one of 3.59 billion because Mihawk is terrifying. Yes. Uh, and they then also, there's they, Bucky. They also specifically say uh, the greatest, uh, with even greater sword skill than Red Air Shanks, basically, which we've known he's the greatest swordsman, but that's like, he's the they're like, he's even better than Shanks, which we always knew, but like, it's a very definitive sort of thing, which probably explains why his bounty is so high. Yes. Like, this guy, he fucks. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't they establish that was it was it was it Mihawk that they said that Shanks was like on par with when he uh, when he had both arms or am I thinking someone else? Um, I think they. I think the implication has always been that like Mihawk is the definitive one. When Shanks had both hands, it might have been more of a close contest. But I, I feel like Whitebeard was what it was something close. To it been you, you might be right though. I, I like there's a lot of like old details of One Piece I've forgotten because we right, spent right. seven years in Wano. <laughs> pretty much it's like stuff's like kind of like forced itself out of your brain to make room for yeah. it now so i'm well, like nick remember the flower capital the what <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then you're like maybe i haven't forgotten anything about one piece <laughs> i look at nick he's forgotten everything uh and buggy has a has a bounty of 3.189 billion uh just because he's so influential i guess yeah. so <laughs> Uh, so all that's happening. Uh, uh, Mihawk and Crocodile are still, you know, being hard on Buggy. He's like, please, please let me lick your boots. Please, please. Um, and Mihawk, however, at this point points out, you know, it might not be a bad idea to have him just take the spotlight. Also, I don't want to be an emperor. I prefer a quieter life. <laughs> dude, you've I, destroyed ships with your sword. He's like, <laughs> yeah, quiet dude. life. And then I chilled out on my Tim Burton Island with my big titty goth girlfriend for a little bit. Like, it worked out for a while. Where is Perona anyway? She's going to show up any day now. We'll see. <laughs> so, uh, Crocodile's got his doubts, but Mihawk's like, hey, let him take all the attention. And if he becomes inconvenient, we can just get rid of him. And Crocodile's like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea, actually. I like this now. Uh, and so they go out to address all of Buggy's followers. Buggy does his big curtain body thing to make himself look big. And he says, in order to adapt to the coming new era, I have established the Cross Guild. Here's a look at our chief officers. And it was like, oh, my God, Crocodile and Mihawk. Oh, man, Chairman Buggy's crying. He's just crying because he's terrified that they're yeah. going to kill him. Uh uh, but that's not where we end the chapter. We end the chapter on the most important note of all. The most important note of all! <sighs> we cut to uh, the Kamabaka Queendom with, uh, where Ivankov uh, is uh, headquartered along with a bunch of the uh, rebel forces and Koala is there and a whole bunch of the other forces are there including Dragon and uh, they're talking about a bunch of the stuff that happened with, you know, Sabo. Uh, you know, remember Sabo? He did the thing where he killed Cobra and, you know, caused a big splash and stuff. So, uh, you know, they, but they go and talk, uh, Koala goes to talk to Dragon and he says, Sabo is, look, he's fine. But if it's true, he killed King Cobra. There will be a reckoning between us, no matter his reason. And he is talking to Bartholomew Kuma. Uh, and he says, what is it that you've seen? 
but before we can see how that conversation plays out, Quag is distracted by a transponder snail ringing. Uh, and she goes to answer it. Meanwhile, some Marines are listening in. They've intercepted the signal. And as Koala picks up the transponder and starts to answer, uh, it's Sabo. And Sabo says, it's me, Sabo. And that's it. So, oh, Sabo called Koala. Ooh. It's a very cool 90% of the chapter. And then it's like the last panel is like, Sabo's going to talk now. And I'm like, cool. Uh, I'll catch the next one piece when it comes out. Just hit me up. <laughs> I might be sleeping. Yeah, so that's it. Um, I, yeah, I, I think that we've already kind of just talked about the buggy stuff as it was happening. It's like, yeah, that's the way it should be if we're going to establish buggy as quote unquote part of a big cool villain group alongside guys who are clearly way more dangerous and and smarter than him. Um, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. All right, Nick, let's do our MVPs. Yep, favorite series and MVP. Uh, do you have a pick? My my series of the week is hands down Akane Banashi. This was such a great chapter of Akane Banashi. Like just yeah. like everything I was waiting for finally happening. Such a great conversation. That tension was awesome. Yeah, I, I will second that thought. I will say uh, that uh, Undead Unluck was was nice. It was nice to have this big like, hey, we're going to go and be optimistic and stuff. And on the other half of it, uh, I thought the Black Clover's Things are really bad now. Chapter was also really good. Yes. But uh, yeah, Akane Banashi was amazing. On that so. note, I'm going to give my MVP to Lucius from Black Clover because he was fucking awesome, dude. Like legit just Eisen teleported his way out of there and it was pretty awesome. I'm going to give it to him. Yeah, I'm going two for two with you. Uh, Lucius, you know, was the focus of the chapter. He did look very dangerous. Uh, and I liked that, you know, he kind of kept it short and sweet. You're just like, yeah, I'm just these are this is what my followers are going to be. This is my gimmick. This is what position I'm in. Uh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be the emperor of the world. It'll be a great world with me ruling over it. And I'm calling these guys paladins so that they have a nice catchy trademarked name. Uh, and you're all fucked. Goodbye. Yeah, goodbye. That was it. So I've killed your hero. <laughs> um, the audience, by the way, picked one piece as their chapter of the week, and Arakawa, show Arakawa from Akatabanashi as their character of the week. Ed shot even got a couple of votes. Good for him. Uh, so I guess that no one picked Doron Dororon. Okay, well. Well, hold on. Let me see yeah. three. Maybe. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's this. see. Get out that control. Oh, here's what. Nope. That's a kind of an ashy. Undead unlock. Kind of an ashy. Kind of an ashy. Oh, PPPPP because it was gay. I think got a vote. That's good. One piece, one piece, one piece. Oh, it looks like someone news adding her thing into <laughs> It's just like Doron Doron. P.S. This is not Quinn yeah, leaving this. Could be, could be, that's why I put the, the person thing up top. Not Quinn. Not Quinn. <laughs> I'm not going to actually do that because I know it would be obnoxious. To it would job. mess up the algorithm. Yes. yes. All right, guys. That is going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap. Although. We will have an announcement to make. But uh, if you want to listen to more of the show, we record the show here on twitch.tv slash Reloty Wednesday evenings starting usually about 7.30 Eastern time. So if you want to check out the live recording on twitch.tv, do so. Uh, we also send out word on Twitter 
uh, Royalty, Nick F Time, and WMR Podcast, and on the Discord server when the stream goes live. The Discord server also has a great community that does bi-weekly game nights and has conversations about the manga that we're going to be discussing and uh, the chapters as they come out each week and all sorts of other stuff. And you can also use it to find the recommendations and other WMR stats information in a Google sheet that is maintained by Ninja X3i. Check that out as well. We would like to thank everyone who supports us over on patreon.com slash weekly long yeah, slash weekly long recap, uh, where we create bonus content for you guys to enjoy as well. We would like to also extend thanks to Steve Mann, who does some title cards over on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash weekly manga recap, which is also where you can find the opening sequence as made for us by the wonderful Milo Jack Stillitz and Wesley Del Cheddar. Yes. All right, Nick, it is time. It's time. August has come to a close. That's right. Which means it's September. And we always get a little sadistic when September mm. rolls around. Yeah. Not not sexy sadistic, guys. No. It's no, no. This is just well, we just well, like to suffer. Well, it's 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 someone's fetish. Um, but uh it's well, not for us. I will say this is an etchy series. So Yeah, well not, I mean, it's, not exactly. It's it, the etchy is a part of it. So, um, uh, how many, how many series have we done on Statistic September that would not qualify as etchy? Air Gear definitely would. I don't think Prince yeah. of Tennis counts as etchy. You no, know, that's, well, yeah, there's, there is, I mean, like, there's some good looking guys in but it, but I that's mean, not I was going to say, if you so. don't, like, if you take that out, because then it's Flame of Rekka definitely was. Mm-hmm. I don't want to think about Kodomino Gigan. No, no, no. Uh, uh, whatever code breakers definitely was definitely was and definitely then was. uh kenichi uh, was definitely was so like yeah yeah like what five of or four or five basically yeah absolutely grand, grand majority definitely so and we're continuing right. that trend uh i also I, I was giving hints in our discord chat uh, about what series it might be and i said that it was longer than 10 series but shorter than f- or 10 volumes rather uh, but shorter than 50 volumes. Not by much, because this guy clocks in at like 39 volumes. <laughs> this is a long series. It's going to take us a little bit of time, Nick, to dig through the Get Backers. That's right. More mediocre mid-2000s Battle Shonen series. Although I think this series technically qualifies as seinen, So we're going to look forward to that. I'm gonna need to find more time in the month. <laughs> <laughs> One guy has an evil eye, the other guy has like electric powers or something. I Ooh. I vaguely remember the premise. Yep. We're gonna get back in time. It's not doesn't involve time at all, but that is like a get back, get backers. Yep. 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 Kind of close this out. I don't know. I'm just thinking about how much manga I'm going to have to read. <laughs> you could like just start ejecting it to yourself. I'm just gonna like start right now. Let me get the volume up pulled yeah. up. Hang on. Um, <laughs> You're just like just gotta start chugging this. <laughs> chapter one. I'm reading it. So I, I will know because there are people who are questioning it already. Uh, I have mentioned this series before. I've read 
parts of it, mm-hmm. and I've I've referenced it in the past because there is an arc where like six of the main characters have to go into like a tower, and it's teased early on. There is a Judas among the group, and of the six, five of them are like best friends, and one person is the evil motherfucker who has been around the series as an antagonist since the first time they encounter him. And then it's like, who's the Judas? And guess what? It's the fucking evil dude who's been there from the very like it could not have shocked you less. You're like, we have there a team of like five presidents and Hitler. Who's the bad guy in this? You're like, what? Hitler was the one doing this all along. This is fucking wild. We have engaged. We have engaged our super team for this task. Honest Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, who cannot tell a lie, and Benedict Arnold, famous traitor to America. <laughs> one of these three will betray you, but it might surprise you. Is it Benedict Arnold? Yes. But it might surprise you. I didn't say it necessarily would. I said it might. I said it might. I was pretty clear in my wording. It might. So that really sounds like a you problem, not a me problem. (laughs) Blaming someone for not being surprised by something. This really sounds like you ruined this for yourself. (laughs) It's like you lead someone into a dark room. It's like, oh, but there might be something in here involving cake and celebrations. This is a surprise party for me. Well, now you've ruined the surprise! Look who just spoiled their own fun. Tisk, tisk, tisk. <laughs> Get backers! All right. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody.